This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with uh, Jeffrey and, of course, Terry South. The gang's gathered. We're all here. Man, oh man, is the news getting hot in Washington, D.C. when it comes to this uh, this guy running for Senate. You may you may have heard about this story. This guy may win it, too. He, he some, may, Roy Moore say. is his name, and he may... He may win it. I, apparently, he was leading in the polls. So, but boy, more uh, people are coming out um, saying that they've been harassed or abused by him as uh, as as really teenagers. Really, is there some sort of a magic number? Do you feel like okay, if this many people come out and say something, it's got to be true? Well, you know, you don't know, but but what you know is something ain't right. <laughs> Something ain't right. Even Mitch McConnell now, the leader of the Senate, is saying, yeah, he believes the women. And you got to believe the women, right? I mean, why would they come out with this stuff? But then all of his constituents are saying, hold it. They, he's been in elected office for years and I think 40 years and he, he nobody's come out. Nobody said anything. Matt, it, it's obviously a left wing. That's Washington conspiracy. Post. Yeah. media lapdog uh, conspiracy that they're oh. pushing, even though, like, the woman that came out yesterday voted for Trump and has been a lifelong right. Republican. But it's a conspiracy. I want to ask you a very interesting question. Okay. What if it's not interesting, just by the way? <laughs> hey, if, if you preface with the interesting. No, it is very interesting. <laughs> right. You've heard of gold diggers, right? Yes, yes. So let's say a woman or a man will marry, let's just say, an older person right. to maybe get at some of their money that they have. Yeah. yeah. No, it's for love. Okay. Um, oh, oh, I'm just saying sorry. if there's a term gold digger, right. it's possible that there's that term for a reason. So if there are people willing to do that... Don't yeah. you think there are people that are willing to make up a story in order to well, have a cash grab? Yeah, but they couldn't have gotten Roy Moore to sign their yearbook Yeah, when they true. were 16. Now, I'm not saying that – These that, people. I'm not saying that each and every one of these stories is false, but right. I'm saying maybe there's one mixed no, in there when somebody th- realizes it could be, be a cash grab. There's going to be one somewhere that's – that's false, right? But again, like this, the woman's breakdown, her crying. Can you imagine being a 16-year-old girl and having a powerful older DA, you know, scaring you? That's scary and creepy. And then, I mean, ah, oh, it's, but again, with the hashtag Me Too well, stories, we have more and more stories coming out, not just about politicians, but about a lot of powerful Men and women, I guess. And the, so the other side, I kind of get the impression that this was kind of a smaller town sort of area where sixteen-year-olds would know who the district attorney was. Yeah, you know, I mean, mm. that seems like a, a not a, not a thing most sixteen-year-olds would be able to point someone out in a crowd and go, "That's the district attorney." You know, it's not. But no sixteen-year-old is right, and, and here the sixteen-year-olds like, "Well, he's the district attorney. What am I supposed to do?" So right, she, he has this 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 sort of power and influence. He looked at her in and in, in the her com her. Uh, statement he said i'm the district attorney you're a child no one's going to believe you don't say right. anything oh, so th- yeah. that was the yeah. phrase she used so i would like, wow. i would be surprised if a 16 year old even knew what a district attorney was or what they did right well yeah except they might just know he's powerful hmm. and it's also weird it's not just politics but it's also like a da has like police power right so it feels like you could really get in trouble 
And then in, imagine in small town politics, it's even probably more warped hmm. because people talk, people know stuff. So you don't you don't know exactly what to believe. Mitch McConnell now is saying he believes the women, and so that so it's time to like but Roy Mitch, Mitch McConnell supported the other guy in the primary, not this guy. This guy is yeah. Steve Bannon's guy. Yeah, right. So, but the the dilemma is there's an election in 28 days. It's on the 12th of December. And I think it's the 12th. Or is it, it the 15th? If, it's right that week. If he's elected, I mean, Star Wars there, comes out that week too. Sorry, go on. Oh, really? Yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> well, so, so just other know details. that everything won't be lost in that moment. Yeah. Um, but if he is elected, well, there's first there's a chance a Democrat could take it now. Yep. Uh, because the Republican candidate could collapse. Who's on the ballot? But so Roy Moore's name's on the ballot. He can't. It's too late to take him off. Yeah. So now they're saying, okay, let's get together a write-in campaign. Mm-hmm. And that may Which, not be strong enough. That actually may divide the vote and a Democrat may win. Right. Or do you just like, you know, get Roy Moore elected and then let the Senate take care of him? How many times does a, a senator coming in, running for Senate, already start beating down the, the Senate leader before yeah. they even mm. enter the Senate? And the likelihood of that happening is very rare. No senator has been expelled since the Civil War. Well, mm-hmm. and at that point, fifteen out of or fourteen out of fifteen expulsions having to do with supporting the Confederacy. Yeah, that was the last time. By the this way, why really, are you bringing up the Civil War in this now? Now you're really going to muddy the water. That's the history of this. Is trying to get this done. So that's you can crazy. refuse to let him let the guy take his uh, let uh, Roy Moore take the seat. McConnell and the Republican majority can simply refuse Moore in his seat in the Senate under Article 1, Section 5 of the Constitution. Well, oh, yeah, that one. But well, that's been challenged in court, so who knows? This, well, that a lot of people are going, yeah, but then is this, is this the person that people from Alabama want? That, so, that's why, that's that's why it's challenged in court is right. because now you're, you're, the, the government is telling the people what they should do. Boy, and then you, know? then you get Saturday Night Live involved in this, and then they oh, yeah. start making fun of everybody in Alabama. Yeah. And maybe Jeff Sessions will come back. Maybe Jeff, maybe Jeff will uh, quit the DOJ and then he'll come back and take his seat back. Ta-da! Problem solved. <laughs> maybe. Unless uh, Jeff Sessions, of course, now he, by the way, as um, the head of the Department of Justice, he's now being pushed to start a new inquiry into Hillary Clinton's or the campaign. What's it called? The Clinton Foundation. Right. And Amongst their, other things. And they're uh, – Nuclear deal with the Russians. This is a tangled web. Meanwhile, President Trump's still traveling. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be knowing today? Roy Moore, the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in Alabama, was banned from a mall in the early 1980s after he repeatedly attempted to pick up teenage girls. Former mall employees have told, told local police and The New Yorker. Loitering more story. for loitering. So he's mm. hanging out in the malls. He's following people well, around. How old was he? Was he was in his 30s. Oh. You know, like what normal 30 year olds So he was do. probably mall walking. Other locals told uh, the Birmingham Times, I believe, the paper down there, that Moore was known for prowling the mall. They used the word prowling, prowling. in the article. Moore, <laughs> whom five women have accused of making advances on them. Oh, boy. Uh, or inappropriate touching. If you watched the woman's press conference yesterday, no, it's, totally. it's, it's hard sad. to watch. By the way, you made that growl. What is the male equivalent of what is known as a cougar? Mm. Any ideas? Just a... A mooger? Yeah, it feels right. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he had a reputation, or Roy Moore had a reputation for hanging around the Gladstone Mall in Gladstone, Alabama, in pursuit of high school age girls. Blake Ursey, who was a teenager in town at the time, told the Birmingham News Moore was more, he was known to flirt with all the young girls and would hang out at the mall on weekends like all the kids did. Ah. Uh. So that's in the local reporting. There's apparently some uh, bad feeling amongst the reporters at the, the Birmingham Times because uh, this is something that has been known for quite a while. But these stories have been around. But, of course, the Washington Post sweeps in and gets the scoop and on them. And gets all the credit. So now they're scrambling trying to get the, I mean, get the stories the they They have, have more data. They probably have a lot of stories. More yeah. data on more. More more on more. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. corresponded with WikiLeaks, which the American intelligence community believes disseminated information hacked by the Russian government through Twitter's direct messaging during the 2016 campaign, the side of the Atlantic. The messages were given to Congress as part of its probe into the Russian meddling in the 2016 election. WikiLeaks made several requests of Trump Jr., including asking for uh, Trump's tax returns telling the campaign to reject election results if they should lose and uh, saying that they were rigged, asking the president-elect Trump's request that uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange be appointed Australia's ambassador to the United States. That was all Uh, part of the WikiLeaks communications with Trump Jr. Hold on, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, this is all in the the Atlantic, and it's all part of the... Congress knows this because it's part of the investigation. They were, like, talking about an ambassadorship for Julian Assange? Assange? Yeah. What? <laughs> I know. Trump Jr. frequently ignored the messages, but occasionally responded as if he had acted on the request, usually involving the promotion of a WikiLeaks story about Hillary Clinton or a Democratic Party. At one point, WikiLeaks is like, hey, we just published this. And Trump Jr. is like, yeah, I just retweeted it. Oh, wow. That kind of stuff. Mm. Well, and he kept, you know, he kept like egging on WikiLeaks to do stuff publicly. President Trump did, yeah. We didn't know Donald Jr. was behind the scenes. And it wasn't like they're like... Every single message was no. responded to, but he responded to enough that Congress is looking at it as part of. I mean, the, all the uh, the transcripts of the direct messages are out there in the media, so you can read wow. them. They're interesting. You just don't play with WikiLeaks. No, October they're, they're the kid on the block you don't play with. October fourteenth, twenty sixteen, on uh, Fox and Friends candidate Mike Pence at the time. Oh yeah, uh, said the Trump campaign had no contact with WikiLeaks, even though all this was going on. Yeah, he didn't say the Trump family. That's totally different. Junior was out campaigning. He was part of the campaign. But he was really more of a son. Really? Just really a son? than a campaigner. Uh, as you, you talked about Attorney General Jeff Sessions considering appointing a special counsel to investigate the range of Republican issues, the Washington Post reports among those concerns are Hillary Clinton's use of private email server, Russia's purchase of Uranium One, a Canadian mining company with U.S. operations. Uh, President Donald Trump 11 days ago tweeted about the issues and, and called on Sessions to investigate. Politicians and pundits have previously speculated that Republicans might attempt to appoint a, a second special counsel to investigate the Uranium One sale in an effort to discredit current special counselor, uh, special counsel Robert Mueller, who in, is investigating allegations of Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Mueller was FBI director at the time of the Uranium One sale and did not take action on the sale, leading Republicans to accuse Mueller of Russian collusion. Because everyone's colluding. So. Well, well, yeah, well yeah, who hasn't colluded? Appointing a second special counsel to investigate the first special counsel could potentially make Mueller's investigation of the Trump campaign appear biased. Some believe that Sessions may may think that if he appoints a second special counsel to investigate Clinton and and also other Democrat involvement in other things, it would keep Trump from firing him. 
Well, why don't why don't they just have Mueller yeah. also investigate that? Because that's the same thing. He was isn't the it? FBI director. He was compromised. Well, but now he, he and it can would make do much it. more sense to have a special counsel investigating the current special counsel, so that you had two going at the same time. It's it's just going to be well, confusing. Two is better than one. Well. <laughs> Not when one's investigating the other. It just seems interesting that... Um, but then you'll have dueling counsels. Yeah. And by, by the way, it would also distract and shine the light not on Mueller all the time. Possibly. Oh, my favorite song. The dueling counsels. The dueling counsels. Mm-hmm. And finally, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos demanded Game of Thrones and his studio delivered. Oh, really? On Monday, Deadline... Oh, wait, hold on. Let me get dueling banjos back on. You okay. said Deliverance. Yes, Deliverance. On Monday, Deadline reported that Amazon has acquired multi-season TV rights to the Lord of the Rings series. <gasps> Netflix and wow. HBO were also approached by representatives from the Tolkien estate, Ooh. Deadline reports, with Amazon allegedly sealing the deal for between 200 and $250 million. That's not bad. The reports are saying it's closer to $250 million. But hold on. That's just for the rights. That's before any cost for development, talent, production, anything. This is just for the rights, right? So Forever? I I don't know what the the length of it is. Because I could see this being a, I don't know, a 50-year series. So it says, in its payment, that has to be made sight unseen as there is no concept there are no creative support attached to the possible series. On top of that, the budget for a fantasy series of that magnitude is likely to be between 100 and 150 million a season. Oh, whoa, cow! <laughs> are they going to get Elijah Wood and Ian McKellen and Sa- know, I, Sean Astin for that price? You better get somebody. Plus, the, I mean, that little golem. Oh yeah. Because last time I saw him in a movie, he looked very weak. Mm. I saw him in uh, War for the Planet of the Apes recently. Really. Well, Andy Circus, The guy that plays the character. Oh, you're talking about the actor. No, yeah. I'm talking about the real dude. Yeah. Well, you, you do know, know that, that he he burns, right? No, I did see lava. that one. Mm-mm. He doesn't make it. Was that him screaming right there? Yeah, as he was going in the lava. He didn't make it? No. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler You've alert. seen him. Come on. Yeah, but I don't, again, I don't remember these things. I don't. I've got other stuff going on. Can I bring up another very interesting question? No. Do you have an interesting thing to say? Who? You. Me? Yeah. Because he wants to bring up an interesting question. I think I shared a lot of several interesting things there. I'm just wondering if you have anything more interesting. We have dueling councils. We have a guy that could be a senator that can't go to a local mall. Yeah. Okay. Weird. Interesting stuff. Okay, so that's I, your interesting I you question. The, I asked you the question, if there's some sort of a magic number when it comes to the number of people coming forward accusing somebody of some yeah. crime, right? Yeah. Uh, when is it too early to put up Christmas decorations? Well, we already put up our lights. <gasps> you did? Yeah. Wow. But we haven't turned them on. <laughs> okay. Yes, okay. There's some taste Actually, involved, yeah. We, we have one on our doorstep that we can't not use. So we just started getting all of our Christmas decorations out. Yesterday, we yeah. put up our tree. Oh, boy. We, See, now that's the too tree. early. That's too tea, far. That's way too early. You haven't even like, had your bird yet. We you can't even, put the tree up till after Thanksgiving. After we even bird. read The Grinch to our daughters, oh. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah. You, what you're doing, and you may not know this just because you're a young father, um, but you're, you're, you're pre-shooting. You're looking beyond the mark. 
and you're gonna you're gonna shoot everything you got, and then you're gonna be out of ammo when the big day comes. Right? You think so? Yeah, it's like See, you're 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 on the deer hunt, <laughs> and you're gonna go through all your ammo. Okay, but now listen, season. you're just shooting at rocks and stuff we're, at this point. We're gonna be gone the whole week of Thanksgiving, so really, it's as if we pulled all this out next week because yeah. we're losing a week anyway. Well, mm-hmm. except it's let's just be real, that week will still exist. And you'll, will it? You'll still go through it. Mm-hmm. So you will you will have shot all of your so we shouldn't gun shells. We shouldn't have uh, the Christmas the, ammo was gone. We shouldn't have gotten the Christmas music out last night. No, mm-hmm. my no. wife shouldn't have gotten her mm-hmm. Santa mug and put some hot chocolate in oh, it. Oh, that's way that's, too early. My, my mm. son sent Santa his Christmas list about two weeks ago. Wow, he just got the postcard back saying, "Got your list." Here's what I've been watching, and you need to do these three things to make it to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you I mean, we're still in the yeah. preliminary stages of the guilt trip. Yeah, here. you can't pre-Coco either. Once you once you uh, do what we call the early cocoa, mm. then the later seasonal cocos aren't as, they're it's not more, as rich. More watered they're down. Not as, okay. It's not as warm. I'll, I'll compromise with you, all right? Okay. This weekend, I'll watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is about Steve Martin and John Candy yeah, but, going but again, home, trying to go home for Thanksgiving. I know. That's a great idea. And, and you will be going home for Thanksgiving. The problem, the problem is um, you want to save that probably for Tuesday, mm. Tuesday. maybe Wednesday. You're going to want it to be cooler. See, your problem is it's still 55 degrees, 60 but I, degrees. I'm going to be in Southern California anyway, so does it really matter? You tell me. Do you want happiness or not? I submit that it does not matter. <laughs> I submit. I submit it does not. Well, I mean, you go. You can do it your way, but or you the, can do it the right way, right? The, or do it the right way. And and when your children, when your children realize that about I don't know a third of the festive joy that is the season is gone, hmm. don't come crying to me. So we could do it our way, mm-hmm. as you said, yeah. or we could do it your way, which is to uh, get as little joy as possible into the Christmas season. No, well, the no, problem no. is about the you get about halfway through the whole Christmas season, and there's Christmas burnout. Yeah, because it's just Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Mm-hmm. Ever the only distraction for me is halfway through. It's Star Wars. Oh, oh, there you go. Then I get to go, wow, look at that for like three days, and, then, and that just kind of gets no, me no, through no, no, that. No, Star Wars yeah. is a post-Christmas joy. No, no, no. Star no. Wars is when what it, drives you to the new year. You will it see it during out. your Christmas break. You know you will. I will. Actually, you're going to the employee party. That's I'll where you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You guys, let me just tell you, as, mm. as a, did you just turn my mic off? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you, turn it off. Not on purpose. I was trying uh, to turn mine off. So as a 48-year-old male. Wow. I think I'm 48. Wow. 69. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, I've, lived, I've lived a life, a full life. Mm. I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I've made a mistake. Or two. I've made a mistake. <laughs> What's that? And you gonna name it? In all, no, and okay. in all of this learning, so that day you had Pez want, for breakfast. I want to impart to you my wisdom. Oh no! And yet you never take it. Well, go ahead. Life is short. The holiday seasons even shorter. Let Halloween be Halloween. Let it be Halloween up to a few days before Thanksgiving tide. 
let Thanksgiving tide be Thanksgiving tide. Ride it. Ride the Thanksgiving wave. Sure. Well into December. And then my wife uses the Thanksgiving weekend to put up the tree. Yes. That's how you do it. Yeah. You then ride that wave. Don't pull the chute yet. Yeah. Don't pull the chute. Right. If you pull the chute too early, you're going, it, it's just, you're going to float for years and not land where you want to land. Wow. Then ride into the Christmas season. Then enjoy whatever happens there. And then ride a little Star Wars excitement through. It's before Christmas. I know, but, I know, but you don't have to watch it then. You do, though. Save it. Savor it. Savor it like you a You walk around in society and people are like, did you see this? And it ruins the movie. You must see it. Well, then see it again. Nah. And then, then ride it to January. Then hit your pots and pans. <laughs> then know you got to come back to work. Okay, I'll make I'll make one more compromise. Okay. In addition to watching planes, trains, and automobiles yeah. uh, before Thanksgiving, I before now and Christmas I will watch the entire series of James Bond films. Wow. Which is also something you're supposed to do during the Thanksgiving break. Wh- where's that written? Well, that's when all the movies come out on okay. TV. Okay. And you can catch them all on Amazon Prime. Wow. Are we sponsored by Amazon Prime? No, but we just talked about them. It seems like a really good commercial. Ad nauseum. Um, okay, do it that way. Do it that way. Or you could just be with your family. Hang out. Hug your kids. Nestle by the heater vent if you don't have a fire. Good stuff. Hey, folks, up next we're going to talk about four types of Facebook users. They come in many different shapes, colors, sizes, and also goals. Interesting stuff straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Facebook is one of the leading social media sites in the world, so we all know the different types of people on Facebook, right? You may be one of them. You may love it. You may notice that some of your younger kids or teenagers, they may not be as into Facebook, but we all have the friend who shares way too much and the friend who only posts you know, petitions for social change. So here to speak with us today about the four different types of uh, Facebook personalities is uh, Dr. Chris Boyle. He's a professor of communications here at Brigham Young University, and he and a couple of his colleagues have uh, done some pretty serious race research on Facebook, and I guess it's, it's taking off. Everybody wants to know about it. Yeah, you know, it caught us off guard when this happened, and it was just something we were interested in trying and, and thought would worth, be worth looking at. And as we looked at it, we were kind of interested in what we found. And then as we actually had it published, it, it just seemed to catch everyone's attention. And, yeah. And it's got people talking, so that's good. First of all, does it? are you a Facebooker? I am. So, so you already had it in you. I did. I had it in me. I'm on Facebook. Obviously, you know, it's something I'm interested in, but also with the work we do with the School of Communications, it's important for us to kind of be involved with those social media platforms as well, and Facebook is one of them. It's so interesting. Because I got my master's degree from Brigham Young University in communications um, like nine, in 97, I think. I don't remember the year. Near 97. But we were not talking about social media. Oh. We were not talking about Facebook. And so is is that becoming a big part of communication studies? It has to be. You know, in the area that I teach in within school communications, within news media, it's a large part of what we, we focus on because we know that that's where people go to get information right. into news. And the same thing I think would apply with our other 
sequences over there in the school with public relations, advertising, social media is just a, a mainstream tool right now to get information out there. So what did you what did you learn about Facebook and how did you learn it? Well, the, the main finding we came out with, with in this research study is that we could classify individuals into four types of Facebook users. Uh, and a lot of it based on their interest in Facebook and what they feel like they use Facebook for. One of those being a relationship builder um, where they focus on building the relationships. Another one is a window shopper where they just get on Facebook to see what other people are doing. Yeah, it's, like, it's like the lady looking over the fence. Exactly, yeah. They, they're interested and they're on there quite regularly, but they don't necessarily feel a need to do anything with it themselves. Yeah. They just want to see what their friends are doing. Cool. Right? And then there's a, the town criers, another category that we came up with based on individuals who like to use that as a means to share information or to promote a certain opinion or view that they have. Again, it's not necessarily they're on there because they want to you know, build a relationship with a friend that, that's across the country. It's a matter of that they want to be on there to, to say, here's what I feel about this particular topic. And a lot of those users will be those who share you know, news articles or hmm. studies. And again, the interesting thing in my mind is I, I would assume that those people are often sharing the things that, that align with their beliefs. Yeah, right. In fact, and you, it's funny, just as you're going through it, you already can see which one you are. Like, you're, are you a relate? Are you there to build relationships you know, and networks? Are you there to be a window shopper? Are you there to be a and, town crier? You know, actually, this, that was what's kind of fascinating for me in this is I had always viewed myself as being someone who's more of a town crier, mainly because of the work I do with, with the school and thinking, well, you know, Facebook, I use that to share information yeah. that I find interesting. But the more that I looked at it and the more that I looked at the way that the other, you know, the, these categories came together, I had to admit to myself, I'm more of the, the last category, which is a selfie, right, where I use Facebook mainly to tell people what I'm doing. And it's all about me, yeah. right? Or here's here's a picture of what I'm doing. Here's a picture of where I'm at. Here's something I'm involved in, right? And that's what a selfie yeah. is. They're, the selfie is about themselves. Exactly. It's all about letting people know here's what I'm doing. But um, does, doesn't a selfie need a window shopper? Yeah, I think so. Or I mean, otherwise, I guess no. Yeah, nobody's no, listening. Yeah, you know, and again, a, a selfie. I don't think often thinks um, much about you know maybe a window shopper, but they are interested in a selfie is motivated by the likes and the shares. And how often do we get on Facebook and say, okay, well, this obviously is something that was real clever because yeah. look at all these people who either shared it or liked it or commented right, on right. it. Or on occasion where you, you share something you think is really interesting that you're doing and then you almost feel a little bit put off because, oh, no one really liked it. Mm-hmm. Or no one even said anything Nobody about loves that. me. Exactly. Does, um, d- did you notice that is there a different ranking of who's what? Are there more relationship builders more selfies, more which, – which of the categories seems to be more prominent? Well, there's not necessarily – the way that this method works, it's not necessarily based on this idea of there's more in this category and less in this category. The idea with the, the method that we used in this is we surveyed individuals. Um, we, well, first of all, we identified those that, that would qualify for the study, and obviously we'd have to be someone who's on Facebook regularly, mm-hmm. right, you know, once a week or several times a week or if not more. And once we identified individuals and could uh, invite them to participate, they came through and they actually organized a series of statements that we created based on motivations for Facebook. Because that's really what started this, all, this whole study off is we were asking the question, why are people on Facebook? Why yeah. do they like it? In fact, the, the lead author was in his office with some of the graduate students and, and they were in the process of using Facebook or you know, this, this student had taken a minute to use Facebook and that's what kind of got sparked the, the discussion. Well, why, why do you like getting on Facebook? And hmm. that became, well, let's look at that as a study, right? So as they put that together, then we went and, and we used this method that, that um, 
you basically bring in individuals who would, would qualify for the study in this case. Again, like I said, Facebook users. And then you ask them to sort a series of statements that we put together or motivations for why they use Facebook. And as they organize these statements, they organize them based on whether they agree with them or, or feel like this relates to them hmm. to those that, that least like them, right? Yeah. Um, they, they don't agree with this particular statement, right? So once they organize those statements – we ask them a couple questions based on why did you p- pick these particular statements as ones you agree with or, or feel like you're most like, or why, and then why did you not uh, agree with these statements, or why do you feel like this one doesn't relate to you? And then based on that, we, we run some statistics to, to kind of get these categories as they form, and as you run the statistics, you see these categories come together, hmm. right? So as we ran the statistics, we could see that people who had the same opinions as to certain statements that they agreed with or disagreed with, they became this particular category, right? You can kind of see yeah, them grouped together. Yeah. And then the, the value to this, too, is that the second part of this, this study involves asking, like I said, those questions. And based on those, their responses to the questions, you can kind of see, um, you know, an individual who says that they're a selfie, they answered this particular way, and here's some statements that kind of back that up. Right. And same thing with the other categories. So, um, it's not necessarily a matter of that there's you know more in one and than another. It's just that they seem to group themselves into these four particular categories. Did, is there? I'm assuming you could also have both. You could be you could like be a selfie and a, and maybe you know a town crier. Yeah, I think so. I think that you could actually go into more than one category. Yeah. However, I think that there often most of us can at least relate more than than. Um, into one category than the rest, right? Huh. So you may say, I'm like, for instance, I do feel like I've got tendencies for myself to be a town crier, but if I'm honest with myself, I primarily use Facebook as a selfie. As a selfie. And I think that we would all be that way. You could you could see yourself in a little bit of each of these categories, but there most likely is one that you're dominant in. Did you see a difference with the demographics? Were younger were younger participants different than older participants? Well, in the, the or study, gender. Well, and there wasn't necessarily. We didn't look closely. At, or, or nor is this really meant to look at differences based on demographics. It's more based on perceptions and yeah. opinions, right? This right. is we're asking them to give us their opinions and 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 look, you know, as to what where the, you know it's a very subjective study in that way, right? Where they look at whether or not you know they agree or disagree with certain statements, and it wasn't necessarily based on on hmm. age or demographics per yeah. se. Yeah. But we felt confident enough for the way that these categories align themselves that if we turn around and took this same study and went you know somewhere else and did it with a different group of people, most likely these same, yeah these categories would still be the same ones that would come up. And so, where do you see the research going from here on? Uh, you know, I think what this provides is an awareness, right? And I think what we could do, or anyone could do, with something like this is get a sense again of. We we know we're on these tools, right? We know, like, for instance, I know I'm on Facebook, but I didn't really think a lot about, okay, why? why. Yeah. Right? And now this creates a little bit of an awareness. So then, you know, since I've done this study for myself, as I'm on Facebook, I think about that and go, well, you know, this is, again, another example of me being a selfie or yeah. this is an instance of me, of me maybe being more of a town crier, right? So I think what this can do is this creates a little bit of an awareness and maybe helps individuals recognize, okay, I know I'm on this and I know I enjoy doing this, but why? Right. Well, and there's also been... A lot of other research that – I mean it might help you. Uh, I've read of other research that talks about if if you tend to not be active on Facebook but are – you're just kind of absorbing a lot of it, you might um, you might not be impacting your own identity as much. You might be not uh, – what's the word? Like customizing your own opinions, your own identity, but instead just taking in a lot of information. So it's interesting. With knowing what your type is, you might even be able to build out a – 
you know, some tools or skills to be more effective at your type or oh. healthier at your type. Oh, absolutely. And I think that if you recognize, and, you know, particularly maybe from a, a professional standpoint, if you recognize that, you know, you want to use this this tool as a means to promote a business or something that you're doing, um, and you're on Facebook and you recognize the way that you're doing, maybe you recognize your strength is, is as a, you know, a talent crier or yeah. something to that effect. So you could use that to maybe benefit your your own means, whether right. it's, like I said, a business or otherwise. Or like relationships. If you want to build relationships, you may not always want to be a town crier. Exactly. Like you may want to shut your mouth about certain mm-hmm. things and build relationship. Oh, absolutely. I or think that, use your – and then you can use your relationship to town cry eventually yeah. or occasionally. Exactly. And if you feel like, you know, you want – again, like you said, you want to be a relationship builder and you feel like it's not working well, maybe you need to look at what other reasons why you're on Facebook. Is there a reason why the things you're sharing aren't resonating with, with yeah. the audience that, you know, your relationships you're trying to build? And what an interesting question. Like, like it's almost like, wow, I can't believe you asked it. But the idea of why are you on Facebook? Yeah. That's like – that's a great question we should all be asking because many of I, – I thought one of the categories would be like addicted, you know, automaton yeah. <laughs> because you're just so – it just happens so automatically. But to know why you're on it is important. Oh, absolutely. I think the knowledge is power and that's what it comes down to. If you know why you're doing it, then, you know, it can influence what you do with it. And some, you know, individuals might say, oh, I don't like the fact that I'm a selfie on this. I didn't – I don't like yeah. that, that perception. So then maybe that influences the way they use it moving forward. Interesting. Do you um, – what other things, Chris, are you seeing with Facebook as somebody that's in it, studying it, researching it? I mean, you know, I always hear people like that are doing everything they can to control their kids from getting on it, watching out. I also know that uh, there was a study that just came out that, that a very large percentage of people only receive their news through Facebook. I mean, how is, how is social media impacting us overall? Well, I think it impacts us in a lot of different ways, right? Again, in, with the students I work with in the School of Communications, it's interesting to find that, you know, I, I teach a lot of classes that um, that talk about traditional journalism and journalism writing and some of those things. But we, we bring that in because we know that that's where people are getting information. That's where they get it. That's where they go, right? They go right to social media. And if you ask someone, okay, you know, the news of the day, where did you get your news or where did you hear about this story, that story? I would venture to say at least two-thirds, if not more, would say, well, I, I saw that on social media, um, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's other means. So, you know, I think we, we use it to gather information. We use it as a way to contact and, and, and oftentimes, you know, um, communicate with individuals. And that's maybe a concern that sometimes individ- individuals, um, particularly as we watch teenagers grow up, we think they know how to communicate, you know, via texting or via social media, but can they do it in, in you know, traditional means? Yeah, right? yeah. And um, I guess we also know that uh, social media is where and this is what we could be careful of is where a lot of fake news does proliferate. And so you got to also pay attention, like sort. Don't just know it came from Facebook because it was probably sourced to Fox News or CNN or some other site. Right. So know your sources, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. And you've got to be knowledgeable when you see that information come across. Right. Because there you know, there's even a trend I've seen where individuals will. You know, certain maybe groups with an agenda, whether it's political or otherwise, put together a post on Facebook that looks very much like what you would think is a news story. Yeah. And so individuals will, will see that come across. They may not even click on it. They'll think, oh, wow, you know, and, and they take that information for news. But if you look closely at it and see where it comes from, 
right, or even click on it and, and see where it takes you, then you start to recognize, well, okay, this isn't really meant to be traditional news. It's just mm-hmm. meant to be someone sharing their opinion, but putting it in the form of news, hoping that I, I take it to be as credible oh, as a traditional story. It's also, um, I, I think it's just, I think it's fascinating what you've done. Also with just the four types of Facebook users, they're not judgmental. It's just kind of, you're there to build relationships. You're there to kind of just shop, to notice, to watch. You're a crier, a town crier, or you're a selfie. But um, there's not a judgment behind it. It's just to help you understand you. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think one is worse than the other, right? Right. And some may think that or may have a perception of, well, I don't like the perception of being a selfie. It's not good to be selfish. But at the same time, it's, you know, we recognize selfie is is a broad thing. It's not just necessarily taking literal selfies of yourself. It can be sharing, you know, all kinds of different information. You feel... Like, again, in my instance, I felt like when I shared these things, it was, well, I just, you know, people are always interested in knowing what I'm doing or, or where I'm at. Or I, you know, I've, I've been at a – I've heard a, a really great concert. I want to let people know that how great this was, and so I share it thinking I'm just sharing information when in reality that qualifies it as, totally. as a selfie, right? But you can also see, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live or Studio C – you could see they could do a great parody on each one of these. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, and, you and make and literally that. you could make because you can make fun of every one of them. The oh, one yeah. that the one that's always looking to build and connect and network, and the one that's always looking over the fence, the one that's always got a movement to talk about. Oh, absolutely! It's crazy. You, know, you, can, you can poke fun at probably each each and every one of these. That's categories. what's great about it. I mean, I guess that too probably validates that it's the universality of it. It's real. Oh, absolutely. It's it so is. Cool. And everyone can relate to one form or the other, right? Yeah. And, it, and I think that – and that's what we love about the study is no matter how how uh, you feel like you're using Facebook, you would probably easily say I'm one of these four categories. And that's what I think has made this kind of a, a study that individuals have talked about since it's come out is because that's the first thing people think is, OK, well, where do I fit in? Right, and they start so discussing true. with each other. Okay, well, I, I think I'm more of a selfie, or well, I, I think I'm more of a town crier. Do Do you sense that it would be the same um, approach on on across social media? So, are these four categories only specific to Facebook or to Twitter? Also to Instagram? Do you do you to carry the same approach, or do you change your type? As you change your your medium, I think you change your type as you change your medium because again, this one, you know, this particular study was based off of, of Facebook, and I think that each platform kind of has its its use, right? I yeah. think a lot of people would say Twitter, for instance, is more of an information sharing platform, right? People like to share things, and primarily, it's it's retweeting other information from other individuals. So, you know, say we were to do a study like this with Twitter, I think they would have to be different. There would be different statements to start with because I think people are on different. On, on different platforms for different reasons. Right. And then based on that, I, I would suggest we would probably come up with different categories. Some might be, you know, you could probably classify them somewhat similar. You know, like I said, there's a town crier is, is very much about sharing information and opinions. I'm, I'm willing to bet you would find that with Twitter as well. Yeah. But as far as, you know, a window shopper, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I think you would have to kind of go through and do the study separately mm-hmm. to find out. And, and you would see some similarities, but I'd be willing to bet there's some differences as well. Oh, I think it's powerful. And... Really, again, that's what we need are just more insights into our own behavior, really. Oh, yeah. And, that's, and, and that applies, like I said, to, to all of our media use. I think the more we can understand about why we're using media and how often we're using it as well um, can, can motivate and determine what we do with it going forward. Yeah, I always – I mean – I always think, okay, so now that I know why I'm using Facebook, do I want someone to get up at my funeral and talk about what a great town crier I was? <laughs> and I think, well, maybe. Yeah, kind of. But maybe not. 
and, and, so, that, and that's what's interesting about this is, you know, you you do certain things with Facebook, for instance, and then you think that maybe there's a, a certain perception you're presenting to your to others as you're on Facebook. But what it may be is that that you're presenting something different. You don't realize that. And maybe and hopefully this study helps us in recognizing that. Right? Yeah, Again, so for myself, true. I really thought I was through and through a town crier that I use Facebook primarily to share information. But as I look more at these categories and I look more at the statements behind these categories, and I did it for myself, I'm realizing, okay, no, it's, it, that's not the case at all. I'm a selfie. And especially, in the, it also might explain why you look for likes. Yeah, exactly. And why it validates you so much. And Because I'm assuming a window shopper is not looking for likes. Oh, not at all. They because are the liker. If, if anything, yeah, exactly. They're the liker or they, they don't really feel a need to share information at all, right? Yeah. And it's not because they feel like, well, I... I don't like sharing. I mean, there might be. There might be that they don't like sharing information on Facebook. There's some who will say, well, I just don't feel like I have anything to share. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm interested in what other people have to say. And I'm interested in what other people are doing. And, you know, those are the, the window shoppers, the ones who just, they don't have any kind of desire or drive to be on there all the time to put their own stuff up. They just want to see what other people are doing. And how great it would be, too, just in my work, where if I could start to understand that my wife is on Facebook because she's a relationship builder. And if I'm more of a selfie, then I may not understand why she's doing it or whatever. So we could actually maybe understand others. Oh, absolutely. Better. I think so as well. You know, and and understand, like you said, you you don't know why maybe you're a friend or a significant other is is on that platform so much, or why they're doing the things they do, or why they choose to share these things. Well, now you know because you you've got an idea of the category they could fit into. Absolutely, that's powerful. Well, we appreciate you. Chris Boyle is his name. He's uh, Dr. Chris Boyle here on the campus. He is a, um, a professor at the School of Communications here right here at Brigham Young University, and uh, we're going to have to have you back. We've got a lot of communication topics. Oh, great. Anytime. I'd love and to Especially journalism, media. It's going through turmoil right it now. It is. There's, there's lots to talk about. We will have you back. Uh, Chris Boyle, thank you so much. And continue, uh, continue doing your great work there. And we will continue um, bringing you the latest and greatest, especially now that you know your Facebook personality or your Facebook type. Uh, what are you going to do about it? We'll be talking about it up next, a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball. What a novel idea, right? Uh, to ask yourself why. Why do you use the, the social media you use? Why do you get online? What is your actual goal? And um, because to not know means you're probably you may not even be accomplishing your goal or you may be, as uh, Chris Boyle was talking about, you, you may be in for a shocker. Like you may think that you're getting online simply because you want to change the world or connect to your neighbors and friends. But really what you're doing is you're just perpetuating self. Um, which again, not a there's not a bad side to any of those uh, different things, but it might be worth trying to figure out why. Some other rules I would make sure that you're using while you're using your social media, you you can also you know still model some pretty excellent social skills. You don't need to because of the anonymity of social media. You don't need to debase yourself and lower your standard and become a jerk. You don't need to. Uh, just because it's an, an anonymous uh, feedback on a chat, uh, on a comment board or whatever, you don't need to be rude. 
you can and you don't need to fight every fight right so you could still model your social skills you could also still model your values and beliefs um, as you're posting, as you're looking at what you're doing, see if it actually jibes with your with your values and your belief system. Does it actually align to what you most want to be? Do you want to go down in history and have at your funeral your grandkids get up there and talk about, man, could grandma surf the web? <laughs> and by the way, it's not a problem if that's what you want your grandkids to talk about. But it might be that you want your grandkids to say, man, what was so cool is that I always had grandma following me. She looked at everything that I did. She stayed connected and she commented in meaningful ways to what I was doing. Grandma stayed connected to us through social media. That might be a really powerful thing if that's what your values and your beliefs are. Also, you could um, model connection and sensitivity. Um, what a great way to keep a lot of the people that are closest in your life close to you than by simply constantly using your social media to actually connect and be sensitive. Um, you know, speak appropriately, make comments that are additive to community and to others that benefit others' lives. How powerful could that be? And also understand clearly to you and your family and model to you and your family what we call the law of the harvest, that you're going to reap what you sow. Uh, if you want, it's the karma rule, send out good tidings, you're going to get good tidings back. Um, it's it's a, it's a powerful thing to know that you are an influencer and people are, are having actual real mood changes. You could make somebody's day by having a post. Many times on my site, um, I've actually had a, a lot of people contact me and say, that one post changed this this day for me. That one post helped me overcome this one issue. So be thinking of others while you're out there on your social media. Even if you're just doing it for your own brand or your own self, you can still think of others and model social skills, model your values and beliefs, model connection and sensitivity, and know that you will someday reap what you sow. It's all good stuff to remember. A little coaching idea for you, and hopefully we can just elevate our all of us, could elevate our social media game. We'll continue the journey as we wrap up this first hour of the program straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Hey, as we wrap up this hour, uh, Terry's got a little update for us. Um, Cell phones in school. If you got a kid in school. I had another story, but Jeff's birthday ruined it, so we're not going to do that. I'm not a millennial after all. I was going to prove it wrong. Quit acting like one. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll go with this one. This is very interesting. Washington Post cover story today. Yeah. Exploring the research that has started to find the, uh, trying to find the effect of cell phones in elementary and middle schools. Hmm. What's it doing to education? In Maryland's biggest school system, the suburban Montgomery County, some of the rules have been relaxed in recent months. It used to be that students through fifth grade could carry cell phones only with special permission. But over the years, an increasing number of parents wanted their elementary-age children to take phones to school, often believing kids would be safer walking home or in an emergency. Hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, makes, makes sense. total sense. As the Maryland district recently moved to do away with the old rules, uh, other parents objected, shocked that children as young as six or seven would be permitted to bring smartphones to school. One father recalled his child's school banning fidget spinners and Pokemon cards. Why would they allow cell phones? Well, it's different. Is it? Well, you can't you can't call nine one one on a fidget spinner. 
but distractions and you know that kind yeah, of thing. That's true. While there's little national data on how school systems handle such issues, it appears that uh, they, uh, different schools approach it very differently. Some schools ban smartphones altogether, while others allow them in hallways or during lunch or actively incorporate them into instruction in the classroom. Researchers are exploring possible negative effects related to concentration, academic focus, and overstimulation. Mm. On the positive side, he said, educators are using devices and classrooms as a way to engage students in course material. There you go. So you get both sides yeah. of it there. Elizabeth Englander, a professor at Bridgewater State University in Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts, said that a survey of third graders in five states found that 40% had a cell phone in 2017. What percent? Forty percent had a cell phone in twenty seventeen. Okay. Eighty percent said they brought them to school daily. Eighty of that forty percent. Interesting. My well, my kids. I now know they are in school right now because I can see on my map that they made it to school. So and plus, they're texting you throughout now, the show. Their grades right. are horrible. You're because they're phones. <laughs> <laughs> but at least they're in school. Good stuff. Interesting stuff. That's why we do the program, folks, to give you the heads up, the tools you need to be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here. And guess who's not the millennial? Uh, Terry. Terry's definitely not a millennial. But I'm, Jeff, I am a zennial, though. Jeff's still on the borderline, I think. No, he's at the higher end of zennials. That's what they say. But the, the article I had that I was disappointed about. Wouldn't he be? That would be the zenith of the zennial. They're, they're saying there's. A, we talked about it before. There's this new group. You're not a Gen X. No. You're not a. You're not a, a millennial. millennial. You're a zennial. So you're X and millennial zennial. Yeah. Uh, set 1977 through 1983. According to that chart. Yeah. And then the, the article goes through who came up with the word, basically. But it, it's this group of people who remember having no computer yeah, whatsoever yeah. and yeah. then also ended up having computers everywhere and mm-hmm. are comfortable in both worlds, where people that are older, like, say, you, Matt, have huh? this stress huh? when it comes to new technology ah. and embracing new ideas. What? And, and you're pounding Older. your fist, back in my day, the world, you know, that I, kind I think of person. Those are actually baby boomers. <laughs> now, hold on a second. He may have a point there, because one new idea- Are you idea... pointing at me when you said yes. he has a point? Okay. No. Uh, one new idea that you seem to be having a hard time accepting is that I'm not a millennial. Wow, look at that. Mm. That was just new information, and you're having a hard time with it. Yeah. Well, it's because it changes every week. Yeah, I know. And then depending on where, <laughs> what list we look in. on, he is a millennial, he's not a millennial, he's a zenial, but he doesn't He doesn't appear to be a zenial like like you. I thought the number slid, and possibly he was born in 1984, and so yeah. he's just on the outside, and then we could make fun of uh-huh. him being a millennial. No. Yeah. But no, foiled again. <laughs> what do you, what do you think Donald Trump Jr. is? Because he's getting in some trouble now again. I think he's probably a millennial. Me so? I don't know how old he is. Yeah. But he's – apparently he's been talking to WikiLeaks a little bit back little in bit. the day during, yeah. the, during the election. Yeah. But WikiLeaks, you know, is – they've they've actually – He's a zennial. 
Is he a Zennial? He's 39 years old. Oh, yeah. See? Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. See, so he's he's of your ilk. He's out there. When's he's his out birthday? There gathering WikiLeaks uh, connections. December 31st, New Year's Eve. What date, though? 1977. Okay, he's in. He's in. You have to be 1977. If not, then. Oh, yeah. He's totally in. Eric, however, yeah. is a millennial. He has problems with fun dip, according to Saturday Night Live. So no, wanna, come on. It's pretty funny. But one of the things, I guess, um, but President Trump, this is an interesting thing. that he, his Apparently, his uh, approval ratings have gone up, he, according yep. to some recent polls. He's like up into the 40s now. Oh, wow. Which tells you. Huge turnaround. When he, when he leaves the country. <laughs> yeah. Because this happened when he went to Europe. It did. He needs to well, he's, again, leave more. He's less available to tweet. He's busy doing state business. I mean, that is a great lesson. It really, I mean, it really is because it works, right? It, yeah. You hear less, you, you, you see less. Mm. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. There's uh, President Trump talking about his new ratings. There you go. His new approval rating his voice seems a lot higher a little on radio. pitchy a little mm-hmm. pitchy there a little bit yeah yeah um but I, I think it's actually a really interesting lesson for when he comes home maybe what he ought to do is follow the same protocol the same pattern really of tweeting that he does when he's on the road because hmm. a lot of people like him now less business really like or, him. more really business like oriented him. less yeah. picking fights uh-huh uh, and just keep pushing. Just keep pushing but, on taxes. But just his keep base, kind of, his base said they kind of like him picking fights. Well, except then why do his ratings drop? So his base may like it, but his yeah. base isn't going anywhere. I think we need to figure out where his base is, and you'll probably see that number isn't moving. It's, no, the, the, it's just the people the, outside whatever, the base. Up to the 36%, they love him. He, yeah. it doesn't, he could do whatever. Sure. And by the way, he's done almost everything. Like he said, he could shoot yeah. somebody on Fifth Avenue. They wouldn't care. I probably agree. <laughs> That's what he said. Don't tempt him. Don't tempt him. But what's cool is uh, it's it's the kind of the independents that seem to be swinging more in his favor when he just shuts it a bit and and brings down the the you know the intensity. Mm. And you were going to say something else. Tweets a lot less. He's been self editing all the way through this. It's great. <laughs> I'm exhausted. He's all contorting himself. Yeah. Let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to today? Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Monday that he believes the women who have accused Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore of sexual misconduct. McConnell said Moore, uh, the Republican candidate in Alabama's December 12th race, should step aside. He also told reporters that pursuing a writing candidate for the election was an option. Moore, whose name uh, cannot be removed from the ballot under Alabama law, has denied the allegations of sexual misconduct. Per Real Clear Politics, polls taken since Thursday show Moore leading his Democratic opponent, uh, Doug Jones, by just two points. National Republican Senatorial Committee Chair Senator Cory Gardner said Monday the Senate should vote to expel Roy Moore if he mm. wins the race to become Alabama's next U.S. Senator. Wow. I mean, Wh- if they're which- not careful... People are going to get frustrated and just go to the Democrat. Right. That would that would really mess. Then there's the question: Are there the enough GOP. Democrats in Alabama to make a difference? And there's a question on that. <laughs> it's not necessarily a popular thing to be. And poor Alabama. Yeah. I just think they keep people keep making fun of them because <laughs> I mean it's not people. It's Saturday Night Live. Well, yeah. There's other people too. You but. can't put down an entire state because of. You know, two of your senators. Well, one senator and one former former senator. Yeah. 
Yeah. Huh. Brett J. Talley, a lawyer who has never tried a case, but has been nominated to a federal judgeship by President Trump, failed to disclose that he is married to a White House lawyer in congressional paperwork, the New York Times reported on Monday. Hold on. Is, is it illegal to be married to a White House lawyer? Um, no, but Talley's wife, Ann Donaldson, is the chief of staff to White House counsel Don McGahn and is apparently a person of interest in special counsel Robert Mueller's probe into possible obstruction of justice by Trump. Oh. Ah. So just a fun fact. On Sunday, the Washington Post reported that Talley, the new judge, or his judgeship, is that what you would call him? His judgering His, uh, his wap- Wapnerist. His Wapnerist. Yeah, his, wa- his holy yeah. Wapner. He's a, I don't know if he's been confirmed. He's been nominated. There's been several cases that have gone through recently. Right. But uh, Tally's just one of these for an example. Whose nomination was advanced by the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday along party lines received a un what a unanimously not qualified rating from the American Bar Association, becoming the second of Trump's judicial nominees to receive such a rating. Do you know how hard it is to get a unanimous decision that you're not qualified? I mean, at any point, any one person could have thought, hey, I think he's qualified. But to get a unanimous, that's the hard thing to do. Now, the association with his wife working for the White House, yeah. chiefs, or the lawyers they in the White House. They were able to push it through still. The, the question with that is, you know, you get the kind of maybe a, a nepotism question, you get yeah. a bias question that way with your wife working for the administration. Does that put pressure on you to vote certain yeah. ways? Like those types of questions like, would have been asked, but they weren't because he failed to disclose. Well, Mitch McConnell's wife. But my question is, she why, disclosed. How can't the senators or their staff look into who the guy's married to that's sitting right. in front of you? That yeah, should right. be like a question. Right. Who's your wife? That's right. And again, let's just get real. This is all the Democratic politics saying. He evil, get rid of him. And they yeah. have to do it. you got to get as many out as you can, but there'll just be another one right behind him that right. was Trump appointed. But you have a guy that's never tried a case before yeah. and gets a federal judgeship. Well, I, I know, but... you got to start somewhere. A, I mean, there's a lot of people that... <laughs> Maybe not with a federal judge. Well, a we, just, we have a brand new health... Uh, oh, yeah. ...cabinet secretary that used to run Big Pharma. Right, it's fine. It's, fine. <laughs> it's like, it seems like counterintuitive. Yeah, it's but, great. okay... See what happens. Drain the swamp. FBI stats out on Monday show an increase last year in attacks motivated by bias against blacks, Jews, Muslims, and LGBT people, according to the Associated Press. There were more than 6,100 hate crimes reported last year, up about 5% from 2015. Oh, wow. More than half of the 4,229 racially motivated crimes were against black people. 20% were against whites. Jews were targeted in more than half of the 1,538 crimes motivated by religion. Crimes fueled by bias against LGBT people rose from 203 in 2015 to 234. 234. Those are again reported. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm numbers. Sure. Yeah, you know these numbers. Sir. There were 307 crimes against Muslims in 2016, up from the 257 in 2015, which was the highest number since the a- aftermath of 9-11. The numbers uh, likely reflect an uptick re- in recorded by civil rights groups in harassment and vandalism targeting Muslims, Jews, blacks, and others uh, coming right after the 2016 election. Wow, there was yeah. a lot of those types of vandalism that happened. So That's a big deal. Numbers. I mean, again, numbers, but... Um, I was driving down the street, and I noticed so, and we everything was stopped, and it was so hard, and we were on a major thoroughfare. And I look over, and there are 150 women hmm. in black hijabs, just totally covered, carrying signs that I can't, I couldn't read, and um, 
it was it was from like the uh, it was like an Islamic center in Utah. Mm-hmm. We're doing a women's walk, and the cops were kind of making sure like nobody could you know get in the way. But but there's this inherent bias and fear and bias. And the minute I'm driving by it, I'm like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And then I realized we're all a little biased. I'm biased. I I would love them to meet them, right? But I immediately had fear and like, what are what are they doing here? Kind of going through my head, right? And if that's going on, everybody has. We all have biases to overcome. Absolutely. LGBT, black, white, whatever. And remember, we just did that whole thing about how many people in the South or America was it South? It was in the South. Feel like whites are under attack. Right. It's just it's the strangest time. But we got to look at look at your bias. Look at it. Okay. And finally, your uh, more more lighter notes here. Yeah. Finish on a lighter note. Ten dishes you should never make on Thanksgiving. Okay, listen, Jeff. This is according to a website, theinsider.com. This is really good. Don't make it. Don't, don't make any of these, Jeffrey. This apparently is the inside knowledge. Uh, Thanksgiving is arguably the best food holiday in the U.S. Do you uh, agree? Disagree? Oh, absolutely. I agree. I love best. how some of that transfers to Christmas. Mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of showing yeah. how great it's Thanksgiving just, I think is. it's glutton fest. So you got turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes. There's mm. a lot of fantastic mm. dishes to cut, to choose from. So why waste time on sides that nobody wants? Right. Great point. Yeah. So here's 10 dishes okay. that these people feel are a total waste of your okay, time. Okay, let's get there. On Turkey Day 1, canned cranberry sauce. No, you need that. The, in the shape of the can, uh-huh. you need that on uh-huh. the table. And then you got to grab the plate and wiggle it around. Okay, why can't you just have that for the leftovers when you're making a sandwich? Oh, it's the perfect sandwich making, yeah. It says there's something about 21 grams of sugar coagulated into the shape of a can that's mm-hmm. a major turnoff. For who? For the people that wrote this, is what okay. I'm saying. Aren't Losers. our bellies jiggling enough that yeah. we don't need to see what it looks like on the table? I like to fill my belly and watch it jiggle. They say at least <laughs> spruce it up by adding orange juice and zest or just, you know, chop it up so it don't look but like a can. It really does make the perfect sandwich. Top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 When, you're make, when you're making the sandwich, yeah. you need your flat. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, understood. Two green bean casserole. People don't like that. I like this that. One, oh, it's nasty with the onions and the creaminess and. They go, you think it's healthy because of green beans, but then you add all this other stuff to it: cheese See, and heavy this cream. This is the and, thing. Yeah, it's like it's not healthy. Yeah, pecan pie or pecan pie. Oh, I love pecan pie. They say it's almost 500 calories a slice. Uh-huh. It's a bit of heaven. It's a, like, no, every one of these has to do with, like, it's, you know, a calorie bomb. And I go, that's Thanksgiving. Well, what are they thinking? Ambrosia salad. Huh? What's that? But it's salad with jello and the other stuff. They're saying basically anything that includes Cool Whip has no business calling itself a salad. <gasps> the, and the next one is. Them is fighting words. Jello salad. Yeah, Jello. I never liked Jello at Thanksgiving. It, seem, it says it seems like a terribly antiquated dish. It also has no business. Calling itself a salad. And it's got calf hooks, hooves in it. A <laughs> uh, vegetable tray? Uh, really? I yeah. like a little vegetable Maybe as tray. a snack. Yeah, the pre. Like, yeah. yeah, you got to train yourself. I like to get some, some infrastructure built in sure. my gut. They're saying you have so many dishes to feast upon. Why waste people's time with raw vegetables? No, but like you got to have the olives that you put on your fingers. And do it as every <laughs> olive. Do it as a snack. Now, getting it's up the to pre, the meal. It's the yeah. pre. Corn pudding? You ever have corn pudding? <laughs> Not a fan, I take it. Eat your corn pudding, Larry. Yeah, they're saying it. Giblet gravy. Uh, no, mm. but... I mean, how do you make gravy? Okay. Well, but gi- giblet is... 
that's a big deal. You take yeah. you take the little package giblet. of leftover stuff inside the turkey net so you yeah. make the gravy, right? Yeah, giblet net. I'm okay with it. Just maybe don't bring it up at dinner time. Yeah. But the, let's have let's have there more let than jibs. And, and, Do you like your giblet you, gravy? You take the you take the giblet liver heart all that stuff out yeah. when you bring the gravy into the table. You don't leave it all in there so hey, they discover it. Is, they, uh, is anybody going to eat the neck? Just <laughs> plops out as you're pouring I really it on there. Really want to eat the neck. Pureed squash. Ugh. For some reason, people like this. No, but like babies love it. Sure, but you know, adults pureed, but. Have you ever had like 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 it's so it's like potatoes, right? It's just yeah. It's they're saying it's bland. What's the point? It's Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, dinner rolls. What? Yeah, they're they saying take that, up a lot of room. Okay. Yeah, save These rolls for another are, night. They're wrong. You don't like the list. How do you sop up yeah, the goo? It's true. And the giblet gravy. It is true. You know, a good thing, I guess, uh, something that could be said in favor of the roll is that you can just kind of when there's no room left on your plate, you can just kind of throw it on top anywhere. That's right. Yeah. I like to put two in my pocket. <laughs> and then you just throughout the day, you're like, you find a surprise. You're like, holy cow. That's when I know I need to stop is when you start making the second layer. Uh-huh. You're like, ooh, I better slow down. Yeah. Oh. See, but the the bad thing is, and I, this sounds bad, but mm. I, I go, I don't eat. I eat at another person's house. Yeah. So I way. don't ever get leftovers. Leftovers. So you feel like you need to take advantage I now. I feel ripped off. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It actually, I'm at, not right now, I'm getting very angry. About My it. mom in the past has, uh, she would actually cook another turkey at home. Oh, your we mom. go eat somewhere else. She wants the leftovers. So I she love cook a mom. whole Thanksgiving dinner. See, that's why we're going to do another turkey for Christmas. Christmas oh. Eve or Christmas night. Yeah. yeah. See how you are? See, now that. We talked earlier about how you were kind of blowing Christmas. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of ruining it. But now you, now you're redeeming yourself. Speaking of blowing things, yeah. you are going to blow your perfect run here on no, no. on Matt Libs. You're going to try to you're going to try to trick me. Yeah. Today. You mentioned earlier in the show we talked about uh, Roy Moore, right? Right. And how. Maybe it's possible that that somebody that comes forth in these types of allegations is is not really telling the truth. Yeah, like one in a thousand. Right. So okay. I'm going to give you an opportunity to spot the fake in these Matt Libs, and okay. it's going to be election related since oh, wow. he's got this election coming up. Okay. So there are five just very quick blurbs. So hold on. Now you you keep adding more and no, no, more, no, this which is, makes this more tricky. This is down from the last time. Okay. okay. So I have to find the fake. You have to find the fake. Four of these will be true. Four of these will be true. These are election results. Okay. You're ready. I guess. An aardvark was elected as a member of the National Assembly of Namibia. Okay. A new Sydney Harbor ferry will be christened Ferry McFerry Face. Okay. And uh, what they put in there was, we hope it brings a smile to the faces of visitors and locals alike. Okay. The people of a town in Ecuador elected a foot powder as mayor. Vote for any candidate, but if you want well-being and hygiene, vote for, and then the name of the powder. (laughs) Don't want to give it away. Okay. In case that is the real one. The people of Brazil elected an illiterate clown to their Congress. And the illiterate clown said, I don't know what congressmen do, but vote for me and I'll let you know. <laughs> and then the last one, Bender from the television show Futurama 
was voted in to head up the Washington D.C. school board. Okay. So you've got to find the fake. See, this is you've complicated it because you've added way too many. Oh, come on. I had more than this last time, and it didn't stop you from guessing the right one. An aardvark from Namibia. Mm-hmm. Fairy McFairy face. Yeah. Foot powder as mayor. Mm-hmm. Illiterate clown. Yep. Or Bender from Futurama. Yes. What, what was Bender uh, nominated to? Uh, he was voted uh, to head up the Washington, D.C. school board. He was voted or just made the ballot? Voted in. Is okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. I am going to go with the fake. Is Bender from Futurama? Bender from Futurama. Do you want me to give you the answer now or later? Um. I will say now. Got you. Hold it. <laughs> what? Who is it? Oh, I finally let, got you. Let me get. Let me get one more guess. Okay. Just while we're here, I'm going to then say it would be. Uh, <laughs> foot powder as mayor. Whoa! Two wrong guesses. What is it? The fake was an aardvark was elected as a member of the National Assembly of Namibia. Hmm. Yeah, there was... were a lot of other animals that were elected no, to a totally. certain position. They make it everywhere, but that one was the fake. Well, and I should have known that because the National Assembly is a very high high calling there. Hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs> but the uh, the aardvark is uh, found. How in did Africa, Bender? So. How did Bender win? I have no idea. Yeah, I think that's it's, wrong. Well, because he shows up a lot of times on memes yeah. and social media. So very I mean, popular. I could, see, very I could popular. see that he makes the ballot. I can't see that he wins the ballot. But, um, okay, you got me. Finally, there's one. One for the Zennial. <laughs> Man. Okay, straight ahead. Hey, we're going to be talking about how to conquer your fear. And who better to help us than uh, how about a downhill skier? <laughs> One of the scariest jobs on earth. Kristen Ulmer will be joining us to talk about her new book, The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work, and What to Do Instead. Straight ahead. Everyone experiences some type of fear, whether it be fear of death or of public speaking. Kristen Ulmer, who uh, was voted the most fearless woman athlete, female athlete in North America, and was known as being the best big mountain extreme skier in the world for 12 years. She doesn't claim that she conquered her fears, but does say that she became intimate with them. She's here today to talk to us about uh, how she made friends with her fears and how we can do the same. She's the author of the recent book, The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. Kristen, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Matt. 
This good morning. Is good, good to have you. This is um, I, I love your approach to this because a lot of us feel like, you know, we need to overcome fear. We need to kind of like eliminate it from our lives. It shouldn't be a part of our life. But it, it sounds like you you believe it's better to just kind of make it a friend. I do. You know the language. Everybody wants to conquer, overcome, let go of fear, use your rational mind to get rid of it. You know, that's the language around fear. But the thing is, fear is with us every single moment of every single day in nearly every single interaction we have. And we're just kind of in denial of it. And we then fight a war with it. And that war is being carried out in our unconscious mind. And it messes up our lives in ways that are either really obvious, like panic attacks or insomnia, keeping us, you know, fear keeping us awake at night, or uh, chronic anxiety or irrational fear, or it messes up our lives in covert ways or redirected ways that we're not even aware of is uh, the result of the repression of fear. Mm. And so it's, we, we think we can push it down deep and, or, you know, expel it from our existence, but it, fear really is, uh, it's, it's, it's actually a normal thing. If I, if I were standing in the gate at the top of one of your downhill events, I'd be terrified. I mean, this is, oh, it's, yeah. it's scary, scary stuff. So, especially like when you've watched, I mean, I grew up watching those, those, I think it was NBC, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, where a ski jumper or somebody tumbles down the, hill and you're like holy cow how do so is this where you learned about fear was in the gate or i mean i'm sure it's even younger than that well think about fear in a broader sense it's not just oh we're going to feel it when we're in the gate of a downhill and mind you i was a big mountain extreme skier i've never done a downhill that oh that'd be yeah yeah that would be terrifying (laughs) wouldn't it right but i mean just even in our interactions Like, even this interview right now, you know, this is a scary experience. Like, I'm afraid of saying something stupid. Get in line. Right. And and then, uh, you know, relationships. Like, every time you go on a date, fall in love, get married, you know, that's scary. Have a baby. Uh, Every single moment of every single day, there's going to be some fear involved. Even at a party when I'm meeting somebody new, it's like, I want this person to like me. I have fear of rejection. So it's with us all the time. So... Yes, I learned about fear, to answer your question, from my ski career, mostly because there were some things that I did right by fear, and there are some things that I did wrong by fear. And yeah, I was called fearless, and I didn't feel any fear. You know, that, that is actually a misnomer, though. It, it didn't even occur to me to feel fear during my ski career. But actually, if you look beneath my relative reality, fear was with me all the time, like fear of uh, not being loved, fear of being invisible. Those were my motivators for some people like Bill Gates. Fear of failure just motivates him to do great things. So if you're really willing to be honest with yourself, you'll find fear there all the time. And do you, how do you convert it? Um, because, I mean, fear naturally, right, is supposed to, it's it's probably protecting us, it thinks, or our subconscious thinks from you know, doing something stupid from, you know, overextending. Um, So how do you convert kind of a natural response to something that serves you instead of something that exhausts you? Well, there are two choices on what we can do about fear. Like picture fear at work. Like if you want to do a good job at work, anxiety is going to be a constant issue. And make no mistake, anxiety is just a new word for fear. Like, we don't even want to call it fear anymore. So we call it worry, anxiety, nerves. 
And it is supposed to take you into a heightened state of awareness because you don't want to mess it up, right? Right. And it's always going to be there, especially if you want to do great things with your life. Um, that is unless you want to, like, not work and sit in an ashram your whole life and sing Kumbaya, right? <laughs> right. But you have two choices on what to do with it. You can either block it out or avoid it or ignore, control, fight it, you know, the language. And you can put a lot of intensive effort into that, you know, getting massages, going to the gym, meditation, medication, hmm. breathing techniques, those kinds of things. And it works. It gives you temporary relief. But what happens is the fear doesn't dissipate. It actually just gets stored in your body and it backs up. And then it gets harder and harder to block out over time. So what you get for temporary relief, oh, I don't have to deal with my fear, is next thing you know, it becomes harder and harder to block that fear out. Um, maybe you bring it home with you because you're not dealing with your fear at work and little things start to bug you. You're picking fights with your wife, right? Or next thing you know, you have some sort of anxiety disorder, insomnia, you know, your fear is keeping you awake in the middle of the night. Ultimately, too, because it becomes so exhausting to not deal with your fear, you burn out. You know, you just don't want to do the thing anymore that you used to love. So the other option is what I call having a fear practice where freedom is available by turning towards the thing that is causing you problems rather than away from it. And uh, I imagine that's what we'll talk about next. That's huge. Turn towards it instead of away from it. I mean, you're right, because it, it is, it's like a cumulative effect, right? You just keep... You just keep the more you're stuffing it and and turning away from it, it it's just it's just behind the next corner. It's behind the next situation. Um, so so when you talk about uh, how about turning toward it, how how do we do this? Let's say my fear is a fear of. I mean, it could be more subtle than even public speaking. It could be a fear of failure, like you're saying, or a fear of not being liked. Um, how do you actually recognize what the actual like root fear is? And does that even matter if you know the root fear? Well, there's fear and there's fears. So let's separate the two. Fear is just the sensation of discomfort in your body. And you can close your eyes right now and you can probably find it because, like I said, it's there all the time. Like, close your eyes right now. And if somebody's listening, you know, and you're driving down the road, don't close your eyes. Yeah, but (laughs) pull over and close your eyes. Yes. So close your eyes and find that sensation of discomfort in your body. And there won't be any kind of thoughts associated with it. It's just a feeling. And it, it'll feel like anxiety, nerves, angst. Or because all the emotions are so intimately connected, it may feel like anger. Hmm. It may even feel like sadness. You know, oftentimes we would rather feel anger than, than fear because it feels more powerful. Like the kid that has a really scary home life will just resort to anger instead because it makes them feel um, kind of less like a victim. Yeah, And so it also may show up as sadness. So all the emotions are very interconnected. You can't repress one emotion without it affecting all the others. So That's find cool. that sensation now. And for me, I feel it today in my throat and in my chest. Where do you feel it? I feel it under, like, under my ribs, so in my, like, by my heart, I guess. And sometimes when I say locate discomfort, people will say, oh, well, my lower back hurts or my old broken leg. And oftentimes there is a undealt with emotional component that's exacerbating illness or pain from an old injury. So find that discomfort and just acknowledge that it's perfectly normal and natural to feel this way. 
Life is a scary experience. We're going to come in contact with horrible situations, difficult times. We're going to see some bad things in our lives. People are going to treat us wrong. Um, it's just perfectly normal and natural to feel that sensation. So that's fear. When it starts to be fears, like maybe an OCD or fear of clowns or, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of uh, fear of rejection, of course, is, is a big one, fear of failure, all that, then that's kind of that sensation combined with a thought. Hmm. And so how we turn towards it, like let's take, let's take insomnia or monkey mind in the middle of the night. Oftentimes what that is is undealt with fear, pushed down, and then when you don't deal with your fear, it'll be, I call it down in the basement. It'll look for opportunities to come out whenever your guard is dropped, like say in the middle of the night. So it comes out, it shows up, and it hijacks your mind. So you start to think that fear's in your mind and not a sensation of discomfort in your body at all. What are we taught to do about insomnia then is we're taught to turn away from it, like go and distract yourself, breathe in calm, breathe out your fear, you know, try to calm your mind down. Yeah. I say turn towards it instead. And this is a little trick that I do. If, I, if monkey mind or fear wakes me up in the middle of the night, I turn towards it and I give it my complete undivided attention. Hmm. You, you actually, you, you light it up. You shine the light no, on it. No, that's very different. So you, you how like, do you turn toward it? You don't give it a, like a, a shot glass of caffeine or you don't like ramp it up. It's kind of like a whining child. You know, do you have children? Yes. All right. When they're they're, they're past whining. whining. Now they're just <laughs> grumbling. Okay. Yeah. So what do you do when they're whining or grumbling? Well, I, well I, I want to get mad, but instead I have to turn and listen. Right. So that's what you do. It's not like you're turning to your child and saying, okay, drink this Mountain Dew and, and let's get really upset now. That's not what this is about. This is about just giving that child your undivided attention and being curious about what it has to say or what, you know, it being fear, child being a person, what he or she has to say. And if you do that, what happens with that child? They end up sharing. And it, once they've shared, they seem to tire themselves out. Yeah, they feel better. You know, 7.5 billion people on the planet, what do we all want? Peace. Peace. Yeah, we all want peace. We all want love. We want to be seen and heard and understood. And that's the same thing with our emotions. I like to personify our emotions, fear in particular. I like to see fear as like a child or roommate or spouse. It's like, how would you treat your child, your roommate, your spouse, if you wanted to have a great relationship with them? Well, you give them love and consideration and attention. And then you have a healthy, happy relationship with this individual called fear. Hmm. That's great. That's great insight. Again, we're speaking with Kristen Ulmer about her book, The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. And she's walking us through really a process of, um, of, of, of a fear practice, how to turn toward your fear and, and, and start to, I guess, know it, recognize it, understand it. Does fear become your friend through this process, Kristen? Um, or, or, I mean, like, like the, even personifying it would mean that we could eventually, you know, become friends or at least good acquaintances instead of somebody we always have to avoid. Right. Right now we see fear as an enemy, right? And the reason why 
is because we pushed it down. And so fear from the basement will show up in a kind of covert, crazy, wacky, irrational way. Like irrational fear is nothing more than fear just that's locked in the basement that's now screaming and acting crazy in order to get your attention. But if you have a fear practice, if you're willing to take fear out of the basement and have an honest relationship, that's the word I like to use, an honest relationship with it, a healthy one, a considerate relationship with it, then only its wisdom will come out. And Mm. next thing you know, you'll see fear as a thing that's here to make you strong, wise, see clearly, gives you a lot of energy, Um, it motivates you. You know, you look beneath the relative reality of anyone you admire, you're going to find that fear is going to be a primary source of motivation for them, like fear of messing it up, right, will keep you sharp and focused. Aliveness is my favorite one. Like, for me, emotional intelligence is our ability to uh, feel our emotions, not think about our emotions, which is very different. You know, emotions are meant to be felt, not thought about. So feel our emotions in an honest way and have them help us come alive. So that's, for me, what emotional intelligence is. Hmm. That's beautiful. And then it's, um, and then you're, it's almost more like you're, you are connected. Your emotions can become an extension to you there. It's, it's, it's like biofeedback. It's the feedback you're getting from your body. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many people that are medicating their emotions away because they really think that fear, anger, sadness is not supposed to be part of our human experience. And they've been fighting this war with these emotions for so long, it's not working. And so ultimately they resort to medicating them away. And it's really too bad because, of course, there's consequences of doing that, Um, you know, that you're kind of thwarting your aliveness. And, uh, you know, you think that what all these methods and modalities, too, on helping us deal with our fear and anxiety, that we'd all be feeling a lot better. But we're just getting more and more pickled in anxiety every year. Yeah. And the thing is, even methods like meditation or tapping, you know, or uh, three deep breaths, you know, or putting fear out of our mind, like all of these things give us temporary relief, but it actually exacerbates the underlying cause. And so what I found during my ski career is I was really good at blocking out fear. You know, I was like world class, not just at the skiing, but I just like was so good at controlling my fear, blocking it out using all these methods. But I learned that it's really bad advice because you can get away with it for about 10 years and then just things start to go south. It becomes harder and harder to do. And so that's why I became a fear specialist because by the end of my ski career, I had PTSD and PTSD is just a fear injury and that, you know, we've locked fear in the basement and it's now haunting us from the basement. I started having a lot of injuries because I had to become a really rigid person to not deal with my fear. Mm. And what do we know about rigid trees and heavy winds? Well, they break. Yeah. I was also really burnt out. I started to dread winter because it was so exhausting to not deal with my fear. And so I quit my ski career and uh, I set out to try and figure out what had gone wrong. And this is what I learned is that I was doing what we're all taught to do, you know, conquer, overcome fear. And it was ruining my life. Is because I know you also do coaching, Kristen, and um, and and helping people, kind of guiding them through, you know, going down to the basement, unlocking the door, and and coaxing the fear up and out. Is is fear something that? Because um, I, but I also notice when you do the activities like with us on the, I mean, right here, it really is. It's something I have to do inside me. 
Um, so you can just, I guess, tell us how you go about coaching people to go through the process. And then at what point is it just really about us continuing the practice? Great question. So I do a lot of lectures, but my favorite thing to do is I facilitate people. Mm. And I, I like to give them an embodied experience. So what I do is I broker a conversation between you and your fear. So I, I don't actually give advice. I just take people on a journey into their unconscious mind to have that conversation with fear. Everybody is so different. Everybody is dealing with fear in a different way. It's showing up from the basement in uh, different ways. You know, some people it's completely redirected as something that doesn't seem like fear at all. Um, and, uh, but we can do something here right now because that takes, a, that's a process that takes some time. I actually work with people only for about six hours yeah. to get them to the other side of a fear related problem. Um, but we don't have six hours. So let's do this instead. You ready? Yeah. Yep. Close your eyes and find that sensation of discomfort in your body again. And notice this is a different moment if it's changed, if it's in the same place. For me, I still feel, feel it in my chest. I feel it a lot this morning because I'm so not a morning person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I'm a little goofy in the morning. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> Well, you're, you're pulling it. it off really well. Oh, thank you. I feel it in my chest. And tell me again where you feel it this time. Uh, I feel it again, in, yeah, in the same place, in my chest. All right. So spend 15 seconds now just acknowledging that it's perfectly normal and natural to feel this way. You know, especially if you're doing big things with your life, you're going to feel this way. And then the second step is you want to get to know your patterns around that fear. Like what is your relationship with that fear? And remember, I like to personify it. Like how do you treat this employee, this child, this spouse of yours? Do you hate it? Do you wish it weren't so? Do you avoid it? Do you ignore it? Mm. Do you try to control it? Do you fight it? That's the big one, right? That yeah. makes you feel empowered, right? So the word that we're looking for is do you resist it in any way? And for me, fear is an uncomfortable feeling. And, you know, we humans have a long history of avoiding anything uncomfortable, but our resistance is the bigger issue. You know, if you feel a lot of anxiety in your life, fear is not the problem. It's your resistance to the fear that's causing that anxiety. So notice what your pattern is with it and do you resist it? And I have an equation. Suffering equals discomfort times resistance. So how big is your discomfort, say, Matt, from a level one to ten? Like for me, my discomfort today is about a six. Yeah, for me, it's, uh, let's see, it's... It's probably a five. Yeah, less. It's not as it's it's a five. And what's your resistance to it? Like you're I don't want to feel this. I wish this weren't so for me. It's about a six as well. Mine's higher. Like mine's an eight. I don't want to feel it. All right. So times those two numbers together. And that's your level of suffering. So suffering is discomfort times resistance resistance. So it's really, really hard to lower the discomfort. And like I said, it's temporary and it just goes on underground and it's a whole lot of effort. Hmm. A lot less effort is to work on your resistance. If you can lower your resistance to, let's say, a level two, yeah. then, you know, do the equation. That's a whole lot of less suffering. And that's great. So that's, yeah. So that's level t- step two. You know, fear is natural. Find it in your body and then notice your level of resistance and just kind of wiggle that a little bit. And then the third step, and this is my favorite, and this is like we were talking about 
when you can't sleep at night, you turn towards it. Mm-hmm. You know, fear just wants to be felt. It doesn't want to be thought about. It doesn't want to be rationalized away. It wants to be felt. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to feel it. So just keep your eyes closed and spend 30 seconds, and I'll be talking over this, just feeling it. And the thing is, you're, you're not thinking about feeling it or what that means. You're just feeling it. And so it's a thought-free action. And emotion is the sensation of discomfort in your body. And when we deal with an emotion intellectually, when we try to rationalize it away or understand it, we're not dealing with it emotionally. And that's going to cause some problems. So again, my definition of emotional intelligence is our ability to feel our emotions in an honest way. And so that's what we're doing right now. And the key is you're doing this without trying to get rid of it. You're just spending 30 seconds feeling your fear, listening to that child, and that's it. Hmm. That's your fear practice. And, and you just, by, by feeling it, I guess you're, you've, you're validating it, and you're, I, I, you're probably turning off other parts of your body, it seems like, because uh, what it feels like to me is that I'm more accepting it. Yeah, but accepting it is one, it's definitely a step in the right direction, but it's not really what we're going for. Like accepting your fear is like, oh, I can't stand it. It is what it is, but yeah, there's no, nothing yeah. to do about it. I got to accept, right? Like that's not what we're going for. What we're going for is we're honoring it. Hmm. You know, yeah. We're honoring it. That's, we're having this authentic, real, honest relationship with it. We're willing to listen to it. And maybe this is level, you know, the next step on is actually, can you feel the percolation of energy? there. Hmm. Can you feel the aliveness that comes from fear? Fear is actually one of the most amazing experiences we get to have here on planet Earth. You know, if you think back on the times in your life when you felt most alive, surely you're going to find that fear is part of the experience. What are some of the times that you felt most alive? Well, yeah, yeah, in my my scariest growth-driven moments of my life. These moments right. of you know becoming a professional at something or yeah taking it to the next level, uh, Kristen. You know what? Love this stuff, and uh, we got to have you back again to 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 take a more advantage of this. This is such such an honor. I'm so grateful to have you. The name of the book again is The Art of Fear: Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. Go to her website, kristenolmer.com, kristenolmer.com, where you can learn more about having a fear practice. And you can also find out how to contact her if you want to, to actually work through a, a you know, fear-related issue. Um, powerful stuff. Wow. The power of just going inside and, and allowing things to be. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Label. Welcome back, friends. You know, how powerful is that, this idea that um, what, what you're going for isn't necessarily even acceptance of fear. It's just a recognition that it's there to teach you something. And instead of shoving it away, pushing it away, knocking it away, you know, numbing it away, what if we simply just allowed it to be? Fear, right? Just allow it to be and allow it to teach you. And allow yourself to sit in that fear for a bit. And if you do, amazing things will happen. Your body will actually allow you to just see it as a teacher, not uh, somebody or something that's there to hurt you. 
Anyway, great lessons for all of us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, walking you through your fears. We are getting around to the holiday season, and you might be wondering what Santa's going to bring. One of our producers, Leanna Tan, is convinced some people may be getting nothing for Christmas. She and some other producers around here put together a tangent where they'll share uh, with us some of their experiences of pranking others and being pranked. The other day I was watching as my poor, helpless old laptop struggled to start up. And I flash back to a time when my dad tried to pull an innocent prank with my laptop once, and it took a wrong turn. Eh, now I can look back on it and laugh, but it made me want to hear if anyone else had any fun prank stories. So I decided to ask my colleagues. Here is a little compilation of our prank history. Alex and I were driving back from our date when we got pulled over, which was a problem for two reasons. First, not the best end to a date. Second, there was a warrant out for Alex's arrest because of some unresolved speeding tickets. It's taken care of now. The cop told us there were two options, pay immediately or be arrested. We frantically texted and called our friends Ellie and Scott, who didn't respond. Miraculously, the cop told us he was going to let Alex off as long as he promised to pay within the week. Since our friends still hadn't responded, we decided to roll with it. We didn't tell them Alex got off. We got to Ellie's house, and Alex stayed outside. I got into my best method acting place and ran to the door in a panic, saying the cop had taken Alex in and I'd had to drive back. The mayhem that ensued, running, oaths, pooling cash for bail, was only exacerbated by the fact that Alex texted saying his green card was on the line. He's a citizen of Iran. Eventually, Alex walked through the door and got soundly slapped in the face by Ellie. I think they always check their phones and respond to messages now. And I know I've never done a better acting job. When I think of pranks, the only thing that comes to mind is my family. I mean, I've had some pretty great charms myself, but my inspiration comes from the people that raised me. Well, they're not pranks per se. In our home, we call them punishments. Or in the words of my elders, no cry before I give you something to cry about. I can think of a time that my cousins got in trouble. I believe they were hitting each other and my uncle just couldn't take it anymore. Hey, stop hitting me. So we kicked all of them out of the house. He cut branches off the tree outside with the machete and made them all hold a branch high in the air above their heads on the street and told them, if you're going to act stupid, you can look stupid too. One of my favorite punishments happened when I was around 16 years old. I was helping my mom fold clothes and none of my siblings wanted to help. When my father came home, he heard my mom complaining and he yelled at all of them to go to your rooms. He then told them to take all the clothes out of their dressers and to throw them in the hall. Then he told them to close their doors and to take off their clothes and to throw them in the hall too. He then told them to go outside on the street naked. He said, if you can't fold clothes, then you can't wear any either. My mother and I laughed till we almost passed out. Honestly, we didn't know if he was joking or not. Although my father never made my siblings walk outside naked, they sure did learn their lesson. Anyway, pranks are a little overrated. But I have some pretty solid ideas on how I'm going to discipline my kids when I have some in the future. My 17-year-old brother's name is Evan McMullen. Yes, the same name of the guy who ran for president in last year's election. 
Evan decided while the election was going on that he would change his profile picture on Instagram to instead be the presidential candidate's picture, along with a caption, a Republican and a family man. Once he had done this, he received hundreds of new followers and likes on his pictures. That is until people realized they had been pranked by a teenager. My mom didn't help matters by buying him an Evan McMullen for President t-shirt. This is only the first of many pranks from the one and only Evan McMullen. He has a long, long list of pranks with his friends, including the following. Yelling randomly and making weird noises in stores. Throwing water balloons at cars. Doorbell ditching. Creating fake cardboard cats and putting them in the middle of roads. Dragging dummies behind cars. Hiding in trash bags on Halloween to scare the trick-or-treaters. What he dubbed as coning, in which he gets an ice cream cone from McDonald's and smashes it in his own face. Yeah, don't ask me why on that one. And my personal favorite, copying their favorite famous YouTuber Casey Neitzet by pulling each other behind their cars on skis during a blizzard. And this is just a few of the pranks on the long and very accomplished list of my rascal little brother. Well, glad to know I'm not the only one who's been a victim of pranking or of parental discipline gone wrong. Hopefully, that encouraged some of you that you're not alone, and perhaps dissuaded others of you from your mischievous ways. Well, happy pranking, you pranksters, and good luck to the rest of us. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Top of the Tuesday. Actually, for some, it's, you're in the middle of your day already. Some of you are just getting started. For us, uh, we're already just upside down. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. And I mean that in the best way possible. It sounded like it. You know, also... Terry Jeff are with me. Happy 131st anniversary of the Hole Puncher. Oh. The Hole Puncher. Wow. That... Remember? And then the, the neat thing about the Hole Puncher, by the way... The is cleanup? Uh, no, a statement <laughs> no one has ever made. No, Go ahead. there's that one moment where the little box underneath that holds all the holes... Ugh comes off, mm. and then you have a little party. Confetti. A little celebration moment. And then. Wow. I just saw it as a mess I had to clean up, and you can't get every single one. They're in the carpet. It's a pain. That's why when your kids are older, you you're like, viewpoint. yeah, then you just have your kids come in. Yeah. Kids, I've got a job for you. And if one of those goes into one of your kids' ears, forget about it. Have you had that problem? Okay. Let's just say oh, maybe that's why there's another hearing problem in my yeah. family. They've wow. had, you've had a lot of stuff in your ears. My daughter had a, a uh, frog-eyed salad noodle in her nose. Really? Mm-hmm. I had cheese Whiz in my nose. Ooh. Wow. Not, by, not by choice. Where were your parents? <laughs> <laughs> your, were your brothers just constantly sticking stuff in your ears? Is that what this is about? Let's just say the brothers were in, involved. Well, one brother. The brothers Karamat- Karamatsov? <laughs> Is that who they were? No. That's your Russian heritage? Um, this is an exciting day, I guess, for some. A lot of go- a lot of stuff going on. Sessions is in session. Uh, back, I guess, being grilled, I guess. I, I, yeah. By the... Uh, um, the House. Yeah. A House committee. 
The House committee is having a committee meeting with uh, Mr. Uh, Beauregard Sessions. Jeffrey. Jeffrey Beauregard. Excuse me. Jefferson. Jefferson Beauregard. Jeffrey his first name. Jefferson Beauregard. Remember, he uh, was talking, uh, it was a George Papadopoulos, who was mm. a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. Hard, no, he was the coffee boy. Well, that's what they're saying, but this that was his <laughs> official title. He um, turns, basically, he's working with the FBI because they have him on yeah. lying to them. So he's working with them. And he said that he sat in a meeting with Jeff Sessions and said, hey, I've talked to some counterparts in Russia. They want to set up a meeting between then-candidate Trump and Vladimir Putin. How about we do this? And Jeff Sessions, according to this Papadopoulos guy, said, no, let's not do that. Mm. Now, of course, Jeff Sessions never said that in the last two or three times he sat in front of yeah. Congress to answer yeah. questions about association mm. with Russia. So they brought him back so he could answer right. more questions. But he cleared it up today. Um, CNN's posting that I have always told the truth on Russia contacts. He's always he's always told the truth. He may he may have forgotten. Okay, I guess some. So is it? But the part of the truth that he shared, he was truthful about. Well, is that it's, what it's, well, it's it's you know you it's when you remember. Then you tell that right. truth, and then he says he's never. Later, he doesn't remember talking to this Papadopoulos no. guy or any of this. So well, it's it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember a lot of stuff. Mm. How do you not remember talking to Papadopoulos? Right. I mean, he he's the guy that handed you coffee. Isn't that just really fun to say, Papadopoulos? Absolutely. Um, so that's going on on Washington in Washington, and the 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 heir apparent um, to Mr. Sessions' seat, Roy Moore, is also in trouble, have being attacked. Um, uh, anyway, let's just get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what should we be paying attention to today? As you're talking about the Alabama Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore, cannot deny having ever known his latest sexual misconduct accuser because he glowingly signed her high school yearbook. Well, but you sign a bunch of yearbooks when you're a 30-year-old, you know, sure. district attorney. On yeah. Monday afternoon, Beverly Young Nelson held a press conference with uh, her lawyer, Gloria Allred, recounting a, in vivid detail how when she was 16 years old, he allegedly attempted to assault her in a vehicle parked behind the restaurant where she worked and where she would be in around him because he would come into the restaurant yeah and she said like he'd walk by and he'd play with the end of her hair or whatever and then one day he saw yeah one day he saw her yearbook she was 16 right saw her yearbook sitting there on the counter and said hey can i sign this and she was kind of flattered that the da of the county would want to sign her yearbook she's like great yeah sure and so um do you mind if i incriminate myself really quick in the for a future issue 30 years from now in the press conference she held up her yearbook and it said uh, it said more had more signature there, and it says to a sweeter, more beautiful girl, I could not say Merry Christmas. Love Roy Moore. Christmas, nineteen ninety-seven. Love Roy Moore. Roy Moore, district DA. attorney. XO, 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 XO. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Hours after the woman accused him of these allegations, she uh, what he told reporters Monday night that he had never met her, and this is a political maneuver, and he did not comment on the yearbook message. I know nothing. I have no idea. Well, you don't want to remember. Like, I mean, it's hard. I don't remember what I wrote in people's yearbooks. Right. But if I did it, I obviously knew them. It's probably like, hey, have a nice summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See you next year. Let's hang out during the summer. Let's be locker mates. And again, he's claiming a political maneuver. <clears throat> the woman accusing him voted for Trump, as she said in the press conference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Uh, yeah. Well. I don't know. 
You know what we need? We need Trump back in the country. Is that what it is? Trump will come home and straighten this he'll all out. He'll fix this? Yeah, he'll fix it. He'll make I it, know nothing. He'll make it, nothing. He'll, he'll make it better with Twitter. That's what will happen. Yeah, he'll tweet it away. More than a dozen medical groups have agreed to change the guidelines for what constitutes high blood pressure in the adults based on the oh. findings of a major study conducted two years ago. Yeah. For decades, the upper threshold for high blood pressure has been a top reading of at least 140 or a bottom number of 90. The new guidelines announced Monday at the American Heart Association Conference in California dropped the numbers to 130 over 80. That wow. means an additional 30 million Americans now have the condition, and it affects half of all adults in the United States. The study found that when people try to keep their top number at 120, it lowered the risk of having heart problems. Doctors say that in 90% of high blood pressure cases, the condition is caused by little to no exercise, unhealthy diets, and other bad habits. The Associated Press reports, and a blood pressure uh, improves the risk. The, the blood pressure numbers being changed, uh, I guess, helps yeah. to get all the people. Some people are kind of looking at this like, is this the pill companies trying mm -hmm. to get more customers so they mess with the numbers yeah. and now all these other people have the condition too? So I don't that kind like of to thought. look at it like we now have 30 million more people that are diagnosed with heart problem. Right. I like to look at it as big pharma just made 30 bill. Is that what it is? That's how I like to see it. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, it makes sense, but yep. these people... So now I guess they'll be treated. So last week you didn't have a heart, a heart yeah. a blood pressure problem. Now you have a blood pressure but, problem. So where your doctor maybe wouldn't give you anything, but let's say like let's watch it, let's lose some mm -hmm. weight, let's exercise. Now they're going to have they're going to be giving you the protocol. So now they're going to get you on a medication that will take you down to 120 over 80. Right or 130, yeah. So yeah, well, if you're at 130 or they, above, they want, they're they going to give lower? you the pill. Yeah, wow, it's kind of because I mean the ideal is let's get you to where you let's get you to where you're healthy. So take this pill. Well, it's it's just it's just yeah. earlier detection. I mean, now it'll be sure you're 120. I mean, next in a few years it'll be sure you've got a normal heart rate, but you live in America and we have a big obesity problem, and your heart's probably going to explode in 20 years. So let's get started now. Uh, Puerto Rico's governor is asking the federal government for 94.4 billion to fund the recovery process on the island. Uh, the ask includes $46 billion for housing, $30 billion for FEMA to provide mm. critical infrastructure, and an additional $17 uh, under federal grant programs. Uh, Congress has thus far approved $5 billion. Okay. So He's asking for 94 Just 90 bill short. As of uh, the, the setback we talked about last week yeah, uh, with the, the power lines there in on the island, now 82% of Puerto Rico is without power. Earlier last week, it was only fifty nine percent. So now, with the setbacks, eighty two percent without power. Oh, brother! And the and the military's pulling out. They are, and they're trying to shuttle people off the island. It's just not. It's all going great. It's a perfect ten. <laughs> Remember that. And finally, just a, a little preview of say Black Friday holiday yeah. spending. A lot of stories coming out of what stores are doing that may impact your choices right. as the consumers that we'll all end up being to celebrate a holiday. Uh, Walmart is experimenting with a new pricing system that is sometimes resulting in higher prices for goods sold online. This according to the Wall Street Journal. Huh. It simply costs less to sell some items in stores. Customers can access those store prices online when they choose to pick up the item in the store. Okay, that's great. According to Walmart. Yeah. Now, Walmart is walking a tightrope trying to protect its sales at its highly profitable brick-and-mortar locations while expanding its online footprint. 
While the firm is greatly increasing e-commerce sales in recent quarters, it has come to the cost of shrinking profit margins. So if you, their, their thought is if you give a deal online, they're not going to come to the store. Right. Right. So right. they want to keep you in the store. But, you know, if you want the online option, we can kind of make a, a well, deal here. Yeah. Maybe you maybe you pay a bit more and we can keep our sales but, where we want. But it. we really want you to pick it up at the store, at least, because then you can buy some other stuff. Right. And we'll pick you up along the way. Says, I'm not a big fan because we I think we need to decrease the number of we need to decrease the likelihood of people being trampled on. That's ah. a great point. Not just in the, any store. I think Friday. they need to sell more what you'll see at Walmart if you go see it live versus right. if you see it online. You'll see so much more there. So it's an exciting environment. It goes on and says, even as Walmart expands its online business, its growth lags behind Amazon. Uh, the e-marketer estimates, e-marketer estimates that Amazon will account for 43% of U.S. online sales this year compared with 38% last year. Walmart, their share will grow to 3% this wow. year from 2 Wow. They're doing okay. Online? Well, I mean, 3% growth. Three per, well, it's more than that. It's 3%. It was 2.8 last year. Oh, okay. 3.6 this year. So mm. it's 100 and something. It looks really good yeah. on paper. This is great. But it's only a small fraction yeah. of what Amazon is actually doing. Well, because Amazon's the giant. That's right. I mean, that's... But do you think it'll work if they have a more expensive price online versus in the store? It just seems counterintuitive to me. A little bit. I mean, I, again, this is the guy that I, I shop a lot on. A, 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 I, I like to call it Amazon, right? Because it seems like it's amazing sometimes. Well, then I have <laughs> I have an extension on my computer, a, a, a uh-huh. program that'll alert me to a lower price elsewhere. Yeah. What is that called again? We were just talking about that. My wife and I honey. were just talking about. Yeah, that. Honey's the one I use. Really? Yeah. Okay. No, we're talking about that extension. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I use Honey, too. I'm waiting for it to tell me when I've got a better deal on some new running shoes. I'm kind of to the point now where if I have to either walk over somebody or stay in line all night just to save some money on something, I probably don't need it that much. No, yeah, that's exactly right. I think I'd, I would feel better about myself spending more. And I'm very budget, con- a be- you uh, budget are. conscious, keep in mind. You are. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to waste worth, all the time and, right. and being maimed. injure somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to hurt somebody. I just don't want to be hurt. That's the difference between you and I. Well, little Susie had to be rushed off to the hospital, but at least I saved $20 on my yeah. Xbox. And I could stand on her back while I was reaching for <laughs> Oh, yeah, thanks shelf. for the boost. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, little Susie. Yeah, that's there's some. That's why I don't like these Black Sundays. Is that what they call them? Black Fridays. <laughs> that's something else. Yeah, <sighs> I just don't like it. Um, let's get to our empty news segment uh, with our incredible um, host of the empty news segment, Jeffrey Liam. The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. So, oh, this is just horrible. Yeah, you know, we talked. We've been talking a lot about holidays today. Thanksgiving, Christmas, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one we just passed, Halloween. Oh yeah. Did you guys get a lot of uh, good candy for Halloween? I we did. My kid, I didn't. I didn't eat eat much candy. Anything for some reason. in the bags that came back that you thought, what on earth is this doing in here? No. Uh, well, yeah, like those weird fingers that like have witch fingers. Oh. I'm, I, I started chewing on one of those. They're not edible. Well, they're wax. Yeah, so. didn't even know that. So, yeah, a lot of times we get things in our bags that 
you know, we throw out instantly like the homemade popcorn yeah. balls, Get things like that. that. Toothbrush. Um, Toothbrush, yeah, come mm-hmm. on. Pennies. Right. Did you ever get pennies in your bag? No. Who did that? Cheapskate. So this woman is looking for help. Okay. After uh, she put something in a, a Halloween bag that she really didn't mean to put in there. Oh, boy. A Vermont trick-or-treater may have picked up more than candy on Halloween this year. Police say a woman who lives in <laughs> South Burlington called them after she says she accidentally dropped her yellow Gold and diamond eternity wedding band into oh, a trick or treater's bag. No yeah. way. She said others have reported that someone posted on social media about finding the ring, but she couldn't find the post. The woman lives in the Butler Farm neighborhood, and police are asking parents to check their children's candy bags if they visited the woman's neighborhood. There's some little kid that's like, Look what I got. Oh, it's so pretty. You know, because, yeah, girls are just, they're excited when they yeah. find a, a plastic spider ring. Yeah, but what if it's a guy? What if it's a little boy? Ugh. I'll trade <laughs> you this ring for like a, I don't know, like a, a big, big hunk. Was there chocolate in it? <laughs> no. Oh, that's sad for her because that's a big deal. I know. So hopefully she's able to find that. Mm, wow. That's sad. Uh you know, we're we're always hearing these stories about World War II bombs being found in yeah. Germany. I mean, who doesn't just find one in the backyard here and there? This one's got a little tasty twist on it. Mm. A worried resident in Germany alerted police to what he thought was a World War II bomb in his garden. Mm. Officers rushed over and found a particularly large zucchini. Oh, but was it <laughs> was it a live zucchini? Like, could was it, it a live zucchini? Could it blow at any time? It uh, depends on what you eat it with. Police were summoned to the scene on Thursday morning by an 81-year-old man. They said in a statement Friday that officers determined the object, which really did look very like a bomb, was actually a nearly 16-inch zucchini. Holy I want to know what that guy's putting in his feed there. In his... Well, apparently bombs. The... <laughs> The uh, Let's see. The offending vegetable, which was very dark in color, yeah. weighed about 11 pounds. Oh, wow. Police believe someone threw it over a hedge into the garden. Then they they took cover yeah. after they threw it. Somebody's coming. <laughs> Un- unexploded wartime bombs are unearthed frequently during construction work in Germany, often forcing authorities to evacuate tens of thousands of residents while they are diffused. Oh, and sad. It was, it was an 81-year-old man. He, he lived through that, you know. Yeah. That Boy. is quite the miracle grow he's got in his garden there. Yeah. He just has all these bad memories as a young child. <laughs> uh, what's Have you ever returned a rental car later than when you said you would? Never. You would never do that? I've, uh, no. Seems like you wouldn't want to rack up all the late fees, right? Yeah. you got. I, I even fuel it up before I go. That's very responsible. That's because I'm, I'm a caring tightwad. <laughs> well, here's a guy that kept a rental car for three years. No, oh boy. That's going to cost you. 70 years old. He's from Connecticut. And he's been accused of keeping a rental car for nearly three years. Jacques Alouf. That's the problem right there. He's a little aloof, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing. He's actually a big aloof. Has been charged with first degree and second degree larceny and released after signing a written promise to appear at court. 
Uh, I don't know what that's worth because obviously he signed a promise to return the car when it was due. But anyway. I'll see you in three years, I digress. Police were contacted by the National Insurance Crime Bureau while investigating a 2013 Nissan Altima stolen car claim from Hertz. The vehicle was believed to be in the Stamford area. Aloof rented the car on Christmas Eve 2014 in Rhode Island. Police found the vehicle at the home of Jacques Alouf. Alouf was seen getting into the vehicle and he was stopped for questioning. Alouf even presented the police with the original rental agreement, so he was responsible enough to hold on to that. Holy cow. Still in the vehicle's glove box, the man owed $792 (laughs) for each month he kept the vehicle, totaling $25,344. The vehicle's only worth about $15,000. Yeah. That may have been a mistake. (laughs) How do you... (sighs) What are you thinking? Because like, every time I, you walk to your car, you think, oh, I've really got to get this back. Yeah, I've got to take this back. You would think, oh, yeah, this isn't my car. Yeah. you would. I mean, or every time you just got in your glove compartment, which I don't know, in three years would be, what, six, eight times? Or, oh, yeah, this is a rental. Or every time you get in the car and there's that horrible cigarette smell, yeah. like, I don't even smoke. Yeah. I wonder what that stain is from. That wasn't from me. <laughs> And then, like, when you're driving for three years in a rental car, do you – every time there's a ding, do you, like, mark it to make sure, like, that was not my ding? I did not ding that <laughs> You walk that around day. the car with a clipboard. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you know what? Lesson learned, Mr. Aloof. You, uh, you're going to now pay twenty five grand. Maybe you have some jail time, too. Yeah. Plus, you, you're going to lose your car. Boy, I'm telling you. The lessons you learn on the Matt Townsend Show. Don't be aloof. Instead, turn in your rental car as as quickly as you can. And, hey, make sure you fueled it up. And put in one of those nice little uh, air fresheners as well. Hey, straight ahead, Jeanette Bennett will be joining us. We're going to be talking about digital media. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us today, Jeanette Bennett. Hello. We love her to death, and uh, she's she's a publisher extraordinaire. She is the founder and editor-in-chief at Bennett Communications and focuses on a bunch of different uh, online magazines. Do you still produce uh, hard copy? Absolutely. <sighs> glossy pages. Do, do those things still exist? They do. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And people you, people you do like everything. glossy magazines. They take them. Well, who the wouldn't? bathroom and the airplane and I know this, that's the, that right there. <laughs> you just explained why we probably don't need them anymore. Oh, they're pretty though. They are pretty and um, but hard to make. I mean, you spend a lot of time, a lot of money, I do. and I do. You, and but one of the things that I'm excited you're going to talk to us about today is the digital world, right? And digital marketing because. People, it used to be that if I, you know, you'd open up a magazine and one of those little cards would fall out mm-hmm. and you'd be like, Subscribe ah. now. And then yeah. you just leave that in the doctor's office uh-huh. and you steal the magazine. Um, <laughs> okay. That's just what, learn something about that's you. What some people do. Mm-hmm. But now we don't have the card fall out. Now we get on a website and for the next thing we know, we are, we're being followed by this 
this website now. Isn't that crazy? If you, I don't if like you look it. at one pair of shoes, they haunt you. I know. Everywhere you go, no, totally. they show up. And then you're like, it's the weirdest thing because now all my ads are shoe ads. Yeah, how did that happen? That's so strange. It's like the marketers are smart. <laughs> exactly. It is crazy because in, in my career, all of this is new. When yeah. I graduated with my communications yeah. journalism degree, Facebook didn't exist. No. The internet barely existed. We used to call it the interweb. The interwebs. Yeah, interweb mm-hmm. <laughs> that had nothing good on it, you know. Yeah. And and uh and so it's just a completely different world. No, totally. Yeah. And then you actually have probably had to adjust your business to do what you've always been doing, but then get a digital version, mm-hmm. get it up digitally. But then you gotta figure out how to make money on it. Yeah. So it's a lot more work, same pay or less pay. Yeah. It really <laughs> is. And it's and it's probably reaching more people. Right. Because you reach people in so many different ways. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, social media has changed everything. Uh, the Internet has changed everything. And uh, it's changed everything both from a business and a marketing perspective, but also from a consumer. No, totally. Like we were just talking about those shoes following you everywhere. So there's things you have to be careful of. Because yeah. if, you, if you have a family computer and you're, and you're looking at Christmas gifts for your kids or – Underwear or something, you know, your kids will see those ads too, and then you'll wonder. They'll know exactly what you're buying them. Mm -hmm. Yep, they see that dollhouse. We one of the things I didn't know, but we've talked to a lot of guests about it, is the fact that the actual the data mining that is done behind the scenes is becoming more lucrative for these companies than the product they're selling. I know, like Amazon makes so much money just knowing what they know about you Mm -hmm. and your consuming habits. Then they can resell that, or they right. can they can use it to their advantage. Yeah. So whenever we visit a website, that company creates some code or a cookie associated yeah. with us and our activity. But it's even gone beyond that. So so they sell that data, but then there's also this offline data, including our mortgage and where mm-hmm. we live, how long we've lived there, our age, our background. And so when the the uh, data miners and the the marketers combine all that information, they know us better than we. They know have ourselves. a mega database that then they could sell that to a marketing company right. or even like we were finding out with with uh, the votes, like President Trump had on his team. People from Facebook, people from Google that were embeds that would come work for them to help them go mine the exact data they needed wow. and to turn the vote. And he only needed to turn votes of, you know, small percentages of groups right. that could swing mm-hmm. states. Mm-hmm. And once you turn those groups, boom. Yeah. You know, it's powerful. I, I used to say a lot that we vote with our dollars. And because I own local magazines and things, I, I believe that. And so if, if I want a store to exist in my community, I need to shop there. Yeah. I need to use my dollars to say, I want you to exist. Right. If there's a local movie, if I want local movie makers to succeed, I've got to give them my dollars. Yeah. But I also think we vote with our eyes and our fingers yeah, these days. Totally. Because if we if we look at something, if we click on something, that – that's a vote for that, basically. That's even if you don't buy, but you're mm-hmm. you're on it, you're circling it. You can like it, right? Share it, because then that marketer says this many people, one hundred thousand people, saw this. So, yeah, and so even just looking at it, there that's a data point for them. Unbelievable the pressure. We're under. Well, it is pressure, and a lot of it, I think, we're ignorant to. Right? Most, I mean, a huge percentage of this, we have no idea right. what they're capturing. No, it's true. The first time an ad followed me around, I was thinking. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Was this around town or was this? <laughs> yeah. 
just the guy with the gorilla suit just <laughs> you kept look following your, my you car. You look in your rearview mirror, and there's a guy he's, in your backseat. He's still seat. here, waving the little yeah. Caesar sign or something. <laughs> pizza, pizza. <laughs> come, come eat. I'm not And then eventually you give in. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But so, so and another one is um, – you might sign up for something like you might sign up for a deal or a discount, right? And the next, like uh, my wife uh, has like ten thousand emails in her uh-huh. account. So do I. None of which are even does she care about. Yeah. But because she signed up somewhere and didn't understand that she's she they they did an automatic opt in. Mm-hmm. So there's a little button. All she had to do was like. Say no, I don't want yeah. a weekly newsletter of your up, of your best deals. Right. But sometimes that button's really small and buried yeah. in the corner. It's hard to see because <laughs> they just want to keep sending you stuff. Because eventually, a large percentage of us do give in and buy no, the thing totally. or sign up. Well, know? see that what they know then is they just need to slowly drip, yeah, drip, wear us yeah. down, and then then you're gonna pop open your wallet. Yeah, it's a sad thing. Again, we vote with our dollars. Interestingly, I don't get a lot of those. Because mm-hmm. I've gone back, and every time one pops up, I, I immediately evaluate, do I want this? Yeah. And then I unsubscribe. Are we in a long-term relationship yeah, here? No. Yeah. I'm not feeling the love from you. I don't yeah. know where you came from. Right. So on when those ads come up, there are a few things you can do. There usually is a little icon on those ads, whether you're on Facebook or any other website, really. You can click on those icons, and it'll give you some options yeah. to hide the ad. You don't want to see it again. You can also go up in your browser in the settings and preferences, and you can tell it to block ads. There's different um, mm. there's different applications that can help you block ads. I thought ads. you were friends. I thought we were friends. We're breaking up. Yeah. This isn't working out but, for me. But you, you really <laughs> want to customize it because you might be looking at Facebook. Like I've become disenchanted with Facebook because nothing on it resembles me right? and my choices. But I'm finding out it resembles like my biz, like my business people that are running Facebook, yeah, or it's actually Instagram. So a lot of the people I'm following on Instagram aren't like my family and friends. I mm-hmm. look at my wife's Instagram, and hers is so fun to look at. Mine's just a bunch of business people. Well, that's boring. <laughs> Very boring. <laughs> so I, I didn't even know Instagram was fun. Oh, I it is actually super. I fun. gotta get on it. Yeah, and on Instagram, you can follow people that don't follow you. It's not synchronous like that. Really? Or on Facebook, when you're friends, you see each other's things. Yeah, we have to deal with each other. We have to. This sounds so bad that way. <laughs> what else right. do we need to learn? By the way, we're speaking with Jeanette Bennett, who is the founder and editor in chief at Bennett Communications. Uh, she really is a publisher and um, also has a master's degree in journalism here from BYU, and is a regular guest on HuffPost Live which I think is a lung cancer site. <laughs> Huff Post. Oh, Huffington Post Live. Sorry. Um, so Yeah, I don't smoke. Yeah, you're not a smoker. Yeah. 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 But you, yeah, no more Huff. <laughs> I'm very healthy. I worked out once yesterday. Yeah, you, work, I, you worked out yesterday. I, I worked out with a trainer for the first no, time. No, I know. Honestly. First time. I know. The first time. Actually, I've found the first like eight times. Worst thing in the world. See, I'm supposed to go back tomorrow. I know, but you're in your I, head. You're like, my body shouldn't. I move. could hardly get in this chair. I know. No, I watched. <laughs> yeah. I was going to help you, but I'm like, I don't know that I should get involved right. here. Yeah. No, I'm late to the party with mm-hmm. this. Bit. I'm kind of a loner, fitness no, person. I yeah. like to walk or run by I myself. Too. I do too. And think kind of by myself. Yeah. yeah. Either think or listen to a podcast. Listen to the Matt Townsend yeah. who show. Wouldn't, who wouldn't or do that? Something. Absolutely. But I got a. Uh, uh, social pressure to go to a trainer yesterday. Yeah, how'd that yeah. work for you? Um, so during it, it, it wasn't too bad. I mean, mm-hmm. they had to modify the oh, <laughs> exercises. Oh yeah. Oh no, me. totally. Yeah, but um, but today, mm-hmm. going up and down stairs, 
Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good idea to keep doing this. Yeah, you know what? Um, I I went. I did a similar thing, and I did my first squat. How'd that my, go? But my first trainer led squat. Uh huh. And I got um, squat rot. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it ruined me. So I yeah, I just burnt out my glutes and my mm. yeah yeah. It's so I'm not squatting like that anymore. Yeah, I don't think you should. Mm-mm. Squat so rot. So be careful. No, <laughs> squat rot. It doesn't end. It's a lot. Easily. It's a lot worse than it sounds. Even really, that's so, bad. Well, I, I wish you good luck on that tomorrow Thank or today. You. Well, it's tomorrow morning, five a.m. That's the other thing. Like, come on. Like, like you couldn't go at six or seven. I know. Or eight. I mean, exactly. I know you're a busy woman, but. It's going to take you that long to get out of bed with that squat rot you got. <laughs> well, it totally will. And the alarm going off at four or something? That's, no. That's not humane. It's not. There's nothing good about this. No. Back to mediocrity, yeah. I go. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Back to your walks, your treadmill. A peaceful time. Yeah. You could yeah. You could do some other exercises. You I know. could lunge if I want to once or twice. Yeah. yeah. yeah lunge is another overrated thing. <sighs> yeah. You don't want it. I get it. So do you work out now that... Or did no, you just, I just do the walk. eight times? I just walk. I did the eight times, and then I had my gallbladder problem. Okay. And then I lost a lot of weight, and I'm like, look at me, all svelte. <laughs> and then— <laughs> Who needs a trainer? <laughs> Who needs a trainer? And then I've gained back weight. So I probably need—but I, I, don't, I, I don't like trainers. I don't like people poking yeah. where they shouldn't be poking. No, that's not okay. Mm-mm. Or telling me how many push-ups I should be able to no. do. And then, I'll decide yeah. that. Yeah, I'm the one—I know me— Better than you know me, and I'm not an overachiever like you. Like you, look, you look, Matt. You can give me ten more right now, mm-hmm. and I re- honestly, I really can't. I can't. But you don't know that, and so mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on with this. Yeah. You squat don't even rot. know me. Right, enough. we just met. <laughs> I don't care how much I'm paying you. You don't know me enough to know how many more of these, you know, lunges I can do. Exactly. Yeah. And I can't lunge without a sword in my hand anyway. And you shouldn't. Mm-mm. It doesn't look right. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. <sighs> Any other uh, digital marketing <sighs> tips we need to watch out for? Because they're going to so, keep. They're not going to stop this stuff. No, no, no. It's it, going to keep coming. And it and it keeps evolving a little bit. One thing that's uh, pretty hot right now is influencer marketing. Hmm. So what that means is people that you follow online they get they get paid to talk about products and, yeah. and to push services, products, events. And it, it looks like it's just your friend saying, this is the best carrot peeler I've ever Holy seen. carrot peeler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're getting paid for that. And not that that, I mean, and that's legal and that's, that's fine, fine, that's good. But, right. but it is, to be a smart consumer, you need to realize that. They probably have never even used that carrot peeler. There's a chance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They might buy peeled carrots at the store. That's no need exactly. for the peeler. Why go to all the extra work? So you do need to just have a question mark in your mind when you see things online and don't accept everything as fact. Yeah. And I think it's also important to teach our kids that too. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, a Paris a Paris Hilton tweet goes for twelve grand or so. Why? So if <laughs> no I mean pay me twelve grand. Are we'll you serious? Paris. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, they follow these celebrities, they might be more susceptible to it than we are. And if a celebrity is promoting something, they really someone else might have written that tweet. They may not even know anything about no, what they're absolutely. saying. So to be a smart consumer, uh, you just have to realize that. Don't accept it all. At is face Paris value. Hilton still around? Is she a thing? I did not <laughs> I thought she was gone. Oh, Does she still in... have a dog? See, I don't even know. Yeah, good. I don't know. She doesn't have power over my consumer no, choices. No. Uh-uh. No. Who got you to train, by the way? 
Because <laughs> so whoever was, that one was, they did something magical. So I was at a business networking event yeah. over the weekend, and this trainer who I've written about multiple times who has often talked to me about coming and working out with him, we had the same conversation yeah. again where I expressed some interest but hesitation. Yeah. You were just trying to be nice. And then other social pressures came in, like other friends were mm-hmm. talking to him as yeah. well, and they said, let's, let's do this. Let's start on Monday. And at I, 5 a.m. 5 a.m. It's a great idea. Yeah. So I, uh, I, yeah, I gave into that. Did, I mean, what did we learn, Jeanette? What did you learn about peer I pressure? I'm, <laughs> about peer pressure? But I caved. I gave in. I do think there is some accountability. I wouldn't have gone no. if I didn't have a friend there who would have said, where, where are you? Right. No right. You didn't come through. Right. So that pressure worked for me, I guess. You but know? but it may not fit. This method of being healthy may not have fit you. Yeah. Not only does it, it, it plus it hurt like crazy. Uh-huh, and I think tomorrow might be worse. Oh, it will be. How am I going to do no. lunges when I'm no, already you won't. sore? No. Yesterday I kind of did them because I wasn't sore yet. Mm-hmm. No, y- your lunge tomorrow is going to be, it's going to be more unge than lunge. Uh-huh. How much Advil should I take? Oh, I, I would take a lot. I'm thinking so. Yeah, I like to take as much Advil as my kidneys can take. <laughs> so once I feel a tug on my kidneys, like, okay. from the better inside, take a four I'm like, hour break. I better back it down. <laughs> I'm going to get a little more water in me. <sighs> Up the water. See if you have to if you have to medicate like that just to get through your workout. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But maybe they just overdid you the first day. It seems like the first day. Let's just get you used to stuff. Let's just go for a one sprint. Nah. Not, not 20. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I, you should be yeah. my trainer because you seem I'll more reasonable. You. I'll train you. What should I do tomorrow? I'd get up. I'd sleep in as long as you can. Okay, good. Then I'd, I'd ease into your slippers, get a <laughs> okay. nice warm robe on. Uh-huh. Then I'd have a breakfast. I'm big into breakfast. <laughs> okay. This is, I can do this. <laughs> have a big breakfast. It sounds like a good fit for me. Then maybe go for a walk in the morning. Good. Okay. And if you want to go really crazy, carry some weights. Mm. Not some like little big one ones. pound, three just, pound weights. You know, just work your arms. Okay, thanks. Light weights, light. Yeah. Okay. Get your cardio up a mm-hmm. bit, then come home. Then I like to have a big lunch. <laughs> okay. I could yeah. do this. You're hired. I'm, I'm an easy coach that way. Good. What kind of results can I expect? Well, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't expect results. Okay. At first, it's more of mental results, I happiness. Think, I just look at it more. Are you having a good time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and are you learning to cook? <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? We have a deal here. You I and think, I. Matt, I'll do it. I won't even charge you. Nice. That advice right there for it's you better, and all the better. listeners, totally free. I will tag you in all my posts. Do in, it. Influencer marketing. Do it. At its best. Oh, my heavens. Maybe I had to start a little. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start a little health fitness program. You should. M- more like. Not health and fitness, more like food, more food, like food and happiness. Mm-hmm. This With, radio show could take a whole yeah. new direction. No, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Jeanette Bennett's her name. You're going to want to check her out at utahvalley360.com. That's right. Is that the one we're going that to? That is the one. Because she has like one million websites, at least. And on her websites, there won't be little, there won't be little cookies like hooking on and <laughs> no. slowly dragging you to the dark areas of the underworld we honor your privacy what a good company Jeanette Bennett she's the queen she's on every couple of weeks and uh, she's working out using the Matt Townsend fitness approach breakfast before workout and lunch quickly after that I like it deal six meals a day Uh, this is the Matt Townsend show up next our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation
it's time to send it down to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Who better to have this hayride with than Spencer and Jerem? Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, boy. What <laughs> Yeah. You don't get on that horse right now. <laughs> you guys, I would love to go on a hayride with you two. I don't know how to respond <laughs> to that. <laughs> oh, you guys. You I just, kids. I, I would enjoy pretty much doing anything with you, Matt Townsend, Ditto. because hilarity would ensue, and it would be uh, about as wild as things can get in Provo. Oh, without, yeah, without <laughs> the fire department coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The fire yeah. department might just show up. That's exa- exactly. From Diddy Dental. <laughs> We need to. I haven't. I don't think we've had a Diddy Dental uh, um, ad lately. I mean, you should have while. him on the show. I couldn't feel my teeth because I had a big piece of bread stuck over them. See, we need. We need to. You want him on the show? That's a great. That's a great on idea. Your, yeah, on your show. Yeah. We we like want to be calls on. In and- here is my recommendation for your teeth. We want to be on the Diddy Dental commercial as those guys. <gasps> you guys would be such. They had the big yeah. piece of bread. That's <laughs> the then be- got a sunflower seed I stuck up into my molars. <laughs> the before and after of the Diddy Dental pictures with you guys would be fantastic. Yeah, the before and after. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. The wow. befo. The following after it would be sick. <laughs> Why hasn't anybody started that reality show? Like, uh, just a... Just kind of a general hillbilly like show. The OG Fix my grill the with OG Diddy Dental. Dent- yeah. Ooh, that is a great the idea. OG Dentist, yeah. You know what? Okay, we we are going to have more. We're going to have more um, uh, of those Diddy Dental segments. You've just You've just inspired us to do more ads with them. Personally, that is my favorite spoof. Is it really? That, spoof? That you do. No, hold it. Spoof? spoof. What do you oh, mean? Oh, I mean what did real yeah. uh, well-thought-out commercial Yeah, that Thank you, you. Uh, that we offered Diddy to... Dental with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're big into the ad world. You, <laughs> you may not know that. <laughs> Huge. Hey, um, you For guys. For shizzle, dizzle, it's the big nap tizzle. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, the. Have you ever met the Diddy Dental guys? I lots I of bling, Jeff? lots of bling. No, I've not met Jeff. It's not Jeff. It's Why not Jeff. You, no, Who is it? it's Who is it. Is it you? It's no. It's it's the it's the law firm Rabinowitz, Rabinowitz, and <laughs> no, what was it? It's uh, uh, I think it's Pepion, Pepion, and Leibowitz. Oh, and Leibowitz. <laughs> nice. They're they're the representatives of Diddy Dental, but they're it's just a hip group of dentists. It is. Yeah, from uh, from the Pleasant Grove area, with lots of bling. It's yeah. amazing. They sound like they're more from Salt Lake County. Let's be honest. Yeah, they are. They're kind of bigger city folk. <laughs> um, what's those uh, are my people? What's on your show today? Are you guys? Are you still doing your show? Thing? Oh yes. It's not. Hasn't gone away. They haven't. They haven't shut it down. The FCC hasn't said something. Well, Diddy Dental uh, puts up a good penny for us. So yeah, they do. Once you spend the big money. Yeah, that'll keep us going for a while. That's Today, good. yeah. why not discuss the BYU football quarterback depth chart for next season? Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Going, hey. That's a great idea. <laughs> this season stinks. Yeah. So we're just going to next year. Yeah, just jump, just jump to next year. Well, the real story is the quarterback, right? And BYU's played like 71 this year. Mm-hmm. So we're looking ahead to 2018 and what the depth chart will look like when 
BYU takes the field against Arizona in 300 and some odd days. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's been one game for Joe Critchlow, but one game is enough to prompt us to do this. This is great. This I think this is – plus I think you're really proactive. Why not jump on it, you know? Be Why ahead not? of the curve, man. Right, exactly. Ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So also, that's Blaine Fowler is going to join us. He was a backup quarterback. He played in the national championship. I think you're old enough to remember that right now. I, I do remember, remember I remember it well. Yeah. I yeah. cried. Big Blaine coming mm-hmm. in to, to replace Robbie Bosco. That was amazing. And now he's on your show all the time. Every stinking week. Let's not put it that way. Every wonderful week. Yes, there we go. That seems he's so also nice. a basketball analyst. Dual threat guy. Yeah. He can cover the football and the basketball. He can pass it on either court field. <laughs> court field. And Lauren McLean will channel her inner Goldberg. Oh, great. Goldberg. Excellent. She uh, attempts oh, a Mighty rink. Ducks version of Between the Lines. Oh, she uh, laced up the skates and put on the pads there at Peaks Ice Arena <laughs> to go uh, do some hockey, play some hockey. It was great. Wow. Quack. 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 Ducks Quack. Quack. together. Quack. Quack. <laughs> Beat the Russians. Isn't it Iceland? Or the, Iceland. <laughs> Beast the Icelandians. Um, cool. Our European. That's a great show. We think so. There are, there are a lot of things happening right now, and it's exciting. Basketball and football. Two games for basketball this week. In fact, can the Cougars go 2-0? and What happens if they go 2-0? and Hype machine! <laughs> and BYU women's volleyball still in the top ten. Where? Why does it matter? They just signed a couple of other really, really good players, so the rich get richer. Good news for BYU Volleyball. That is big. Okay, your show's ready, guys. I can already tell. Locked and loaded. BYU Sports Nation straight ahead with Spence and Jerome, the gang. They're all gathered. And by the way, they just break into voice. Um, they they really ought to think about getting a job in you know voicing commercials, cartoons, voice work. Don't you think, Jeff? Are you asking me because that's what I do? Hold on. You do that. I had no idea. That's so, so strange. Anyway, uh, it's time to go now to our hero story of the day. And our hero story of the day is going to come out of Philadelphia with winter on the way. A man who dedicated his time to giving free haircuts to the homeless thought that he might have to stop his mission of helping others. That all changed when a stranger stepped in with an incredible act of kindness. Brennan Jones has been uh, providing free haircuts to the homeless for more than a year. Me personally, I think I surpassed a 1,000 haircuts. So many I stopped counting. So it's been a good year so far, Brennan explained. The good work of people like Brennan is often told, but what isn't always shared is how many others get involved after the word gets out. People like Sean Johnson, when I found out... uh, uh, when I find, found out, well, I need uh, to be a part of that, he said. I need to see what I can do to help. So Sean Johnson got busy and decided to give a fully renovated, basically a brand new barber shop that will offer services to those in need. And he handed the keys over to Brennan Jones. I was given it, it to Brennan free of charge. 
Brennan says he was amazed by the offer. He said, listen, I've got a building I want you to come check out. And they got together and put it all together. How cool is that? And by doing that, they've now created um, the uh, the reincarnation of an older barbershop, Tapers Barbershop. And now it's a barbershop that they can use to uh, change the lives of so many people in need. And they are the heroes of the day. Brennan and Johnson, the, the new... Uh, New givers. And really, that can happen anywhere in our community when there's a need and when there's an ability, and we line those two up, bada boom, bada bing, lives will be changed. That's what makes a hero, folks. And that's our show. We will be back again tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern Time. And uh, you can also find us everywhere. Just look us up at byuradio.org, go to iTunes to tune in. But uh, stay tuned because up next is BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> 